Oh, I, to avoid a legal snag, I have to tell you that you're being recorded. Yeah. <laughs> as, if I, as if I didn't know that when I set out the time to record a podcast. No, see, it's 2020. That kind of shit doesn't matter. But what does matter, ladies and gentlemen, is that you're here on the Rogue Opinions podcast. And uh, today, the A-team, we're, we're functioning one man short, but that doesn't stop us from bringing you guys the yucks and bringing you guys all the wrestling content and more that you look forward to here. I am Jimmy Baxter, of course, the loud New Jersey American person that, I don't know, people every once in a while listen to. Um, and sitting with me is the, well, of course, socially distanced, of course, the dapper, the extraordinary, the fantastic dog setter himself, Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say dapper because uh, I'm, I'm wearing shorts for like the fourth day in a row because it's far too warm here. And that's not a phrase you hear a Scottish person saying all too often. It's just too damn hot over here. I just, I didn't know that there was a Scottish word for warm or hot, and I'm learning things today. <laughs> that is, I learned something today. No, we use the same words as everybody else. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? So, getting more onto the words that we all use, um, wrestling. Uh, a lot of it happened this week, as always. Um, Big Dave oh, and his guys over there, over at uh, Figure Four, and uh, whatever the fuck else they call it. I don't fucking know. I don't subscribe. Wrestling Observer, that's what it's called. They wrote down a bunch of stuff about the stuff that happened this week, and uh, we're going to give our opinions on the stuff that happened on Wednesday, a few things that happened on Friday, and a couple of the things that happened on Monday. Uh, really, it's just one thing, but um, that's all Raw is now, is Raw Underground. Um, and we're trying to appreciate it. While it lasts. Um, but as we said, we are a man down. Nathan is uh, back in the Stone Ages for a week because he is moving house. Um, so direct all of your hate uh, and everything toward him at his Twitter. Uh, it's at Nathan Greenaway because, uh, you know, we're going to give Ben the week off. <laughs> <laughs> you can bitch him out for not being here and, I don't know, complaining about Kenny Omega or whatever else he was going to do this week. And tell him how much you hate death in Florida. And everything about uh, Chick-fil-A or whatever yes. the fuck you're talking about. Chick-fil-A, Destin, Florida, all of the above. Uh, and uh, send him a gif of uh, the, the, the bully from The Simpsons going, ha ha, because uh, Scott beat him in the quiz. Um, if you guys haven't heard the quiz yet, please go back and listen to that. And also the uh, create your own Super SummerSlam deal that we did earlier in the week. And uh, as we continue on here at Rogue Opinions, why don't, you, why don't we get right into it, Scott, with uh, a couple of things that happened on Monday night. Uh, Raw Underground obviously was a thing, kind of, again. Um, I don't know. What, what, were your, what was your opinion on, like, Raw in general from last week? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, as, as, as most weeks. Yeah. World Underground definitely was the main thing because it's definitely getting a lot more segments this week than I did last week. The the thing is, I wish it really would get more time to breathe because you've got guys like uh, Arturo Rujas, you've got people like Shayna Baszler, even Riddick Moss kind of looking like they're actually in an environment that suits them. But then you can't really enjoy it for more than a few seconds before Shane McMahon jumps in with his microphone constantly in hand. And I don't know what really what to make of it because like the uh, the heart business took over uh, the first week of it and then they just decided not to show up to Raw Underground the following week. 
what shit in gear. That yeah, that that's something that like really um just came up came up to me as, as well is that they made this whole big thing about the hurt business coming in and taking over raw underground before it was even established to be a thing. Like you would think that you would want to be able to give um you that you would want to be able to give raw underground uh something. You know, give it a week, you know, to try and establish it before uh, someone comes in and says, oh, well, we're running this place now. Well, nobody was running it before, obviously. So, <laughs> um, but it, it just, it stood out to me that like, again, we had um, a couple of 30 second little matches. Uh, there was that standoff between, I can't remember his fucking name. So I'm just going to say Baba Tunde and uh, Shayna Baszler uh, for like a second. And then they were like, no, 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 can't do that. Let's, uh, let's get three people. No one's ever heard of to take it easy on Shayna Baszler. So she looks, you know, um, like a powerhouse still, even though we did our best to uh, kneecap her, essentially. Because um, that's what they did. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what was your what was your sort of, like, opinion on sort of Shayna Baszler finally getting in there and then, like, the sloppy kind of way that part of the segment sort of worked out? Yeah, because it's weird because, like, they don't have a prop structure for, like, okay, this person and these, people, these two people fight and then... That fight's over because that person got choked out and knocked out. Now we get another person in because that's what seemed to be the first night. Like because the first week they did it and it was just uh, Babakato, I think he's now called or Dabakato, whatever the fuck you call him. He, oh uh, yeah, that is it, Dabakato. Yeah, 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 gotcha, gotcha. So he basically he'd bring somebody up, kill them, and then another person would get up. It reminded me a lot of the bar scene from the first X Men with Wolverine, like when you first see Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Mm-hmm. But then with Shayna, it's just a case of. Two people randomly decided to break up a fight and a shoot fight underground scene and then got beat up for it. So Shane had to awkwardly hit one person and then twist her head and look like this person and then beat them up rather than fighting three people within quick succession. Because I think a few weeks of Raw Underground, if they started this a bit earlier, it would have been preferable to whatever there was they were doing when they didn't have Shana on TV at all. Because like, she destroyed Natalia last time she did something proper on TV. And now you got Natalia going around with Lana talking about, oh, I'm the winningest woman in all of WWE history or whatever. And hearing that too makes you think, maybe Charlotte wasn't pushed enough. Like, maybe we need to bring her back and give her a few more belts because the, the, the title of winningest woman being on Natalia does, doesn't sit right with me. Well, I mean, if you listen, she's been around for approximately 47 years uh, in WWE. So when you have all of those matches, you know, the numbers, I guess, will start to add up in comparison to the people who've only been up there a few times uh, for a few years. Rather, um, I'd like to read verbatim from the website I'm using for WWE Raw here. Uh, Dabakato is back in the underground and he kicks and knees the life out of a smaller guy before slamming him down. Kato grabs him by the ding dong and punches him as Shane yells that it's legal. How could we forget? How could we just gloss over that Dabakato beat a man by grabbing him by the the ding dong, as it says here on the website that I'm using, slamming him to the ground? Um, why why even have a referee uh, standing in there? I mean, I, I like Drake. I like him a whole bunch. But why even have him put the black T-shirt on and the gloves if... Um, Shane is just going to be the one saying that it's over and, and everything. Um, but I think that already week two, um, Raw Underground is just kind of really kind of sad. Yeah, because like we got immediately got rid of the strippers on the second week. 
And I can't remember what it was. I think it was Liv Morgan saying, can we please bring the strippers back next week or something like that? Because like, the strippers just looked awkward as, as hell. Because uh, they weren't really doing anything. Uh, I don't know what Shane's all about because like, he's the promoter slash MC, but he also wants to be the referee, even though he's already got a referee. And he's running around sweating everywhere. And like he said, three monsters before the camera went back to Royal Underground. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't I, know what Shane's all about. I, I think I, this was actually... I think it's actually. I think I remember hearing stories that Shane wanted to buy UFC years ago uh, before it took off. And I think this is just years later. Uh, Vince finally gave him something like giving him like buying your kid a gift that you thought was cool, even though your kid asked you for it six months ago when it was cool and now it's not cool anymore. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what it comes across as. I mean for decades at this point, it, there's been a lot of stories of uh, Shane McMahon just sort of walking around in the back like he's a hard man um in the back and like uh back in backstage and stuff that's what like the mean street posse was really like a rib on um and this just sort of seems like an extension of it um with uh shane just wanting to be i mean like all the other mcmahon's whenever they're involved in a segment they have to be the center of attention and he tries his damnedest and again what happened to the hurt business i thought business was booming meanwhile <laughs> they're in a segment and they're i think the vip lounge was also um yeah uh mvp cuts a promo in the ring not at uh raw underground or the hurt business headquarters or whatever they were probably calling it and he was irate um as, 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 because he didn't walk away as u.s champion so why are they having him to do the vip lounge in the performance center area and not at raw underground considering they made, that was how the show went off the air last week so like mm-hmm. you know they dropped the mic and everything like yeah. you know you would think that that would mean that that, that they were going to try and continue it yeah like cuz when you think about it mvp makes a lot more sense being in Shane's role as kind of the promoter of this underground fight thing cuz like the way he presented himself was like this manager to Bobby and a uh, now Sheldon uh, Shelton he he actually makes suits this role even better and then Shane does, because Shane just looks like a dad who suddenly got into boxing or mixed martial arts and just wants to, like, tell everybody about it. Because, like, having MVP as the shady promoter with these two big guys who basically nobody can really beat because you've got Shelton, who's got a similar amateur wrestling background to Brock. They go on about Brock's amateur background all the time. And you got Lashley, who's actually got a better MMA record than Lesnar does, but they never mentioned that. So like this shady promoter who's got your two favourite fighters and basically inviting anybody who thinks they're tough enough to step up, that actually looks better than Shane McMahon suddenly saying like, oh, look at my cool new thing. Look how tough these guys are. And I was kind of one of those people who originally I was like really looking forward to what they were going to do with Raw Underground. But if they're really just going to take, I don't know, they're going to start something and then never finish it and they're just going to keep having these like 30 second matches and like they had even less raw underground in the third hour this week than they did the previous week. And like, it just sort of seems like they're already giving up on it. And I doubt, I doubt that they're going to try and continue raw underground while they're at the Amway center until October. I highly doubt that they're going to try and put it in like a boiler room down there or something like, it just sort of seems like it's already on its way out and it just sort of seems like a waste of time. Um, Speaking of waste of times, um, Seth Rollins 
uh, had a, a match uh, against Humberto Carrillo. Uh, and in uh, Carrillo's corner, he had Dominic Mysterio. Obviously, uh, Murphy was in Rollins's corner. Um, Rollins gets the win. And um, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it literally just came down to an ass whooping. Um, Dominic got the ever loving shit caned out of him by um, Murphy and and Rollins. I mean, you. It's very rare, especially these days, that you see um, something this violent take place on Raw. And I'm not against it. I think that if Dominic was up for it and Rollins was into it, and because I mean Rollins got the shit caned out of him. What was it last week? So, I mean, and now it's been announced that it's going to be a street fight at uh, SummerSlam, which I think is the best idea because we don't know how good Dominic is in between the ropes. And if you can shield some of that with um, chairs and tables and whatnot, and obviously kendo sticks, that's great. And uh, Dominic uh, put, they put a picture of Dominic up, uh, which literally just looked like someone who just got rescued from a kidnapping. Um, This picture, because he was, wow. It was it was brutal. But what did you think of the, uh, the 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 caning that Dominic Mysterio got on Monday night? Yeah, like what's sad is that as much as we've been taking the piss out of, of Raw Underground just then, this was probably more violent than anything that happened in Raw Underground. And this was part of the main show. This is maybe Raw Underground is maybe the seed of it where it's all real and that and anything goes. Whereas this thing was a lot more violent. And like I think it's probably shade, it looks like shades of like the Tommy Dreamer or Sandman thing from like the nineties. The Thank You Sir, may I have another segment? I've been I've been watching a lot of CW for a different podcast, but he, I think it was a good way to show that Tommy Mysterio can take a beating, and like he's up. He was trying to prove that he's up for it, and he wants to get the fans on his side because a lot of people didn't like the fact that Dominic was getting a match with Seth because obviously it, they being second generation, it's like, oh, it's just because of who his father is. Like, well, Eddie Guerrero doesn't have anything to do with Dominic getting a job right now. But, yeah, he, right. <laughs> but I wasn't sure if that was going to land or not. No, but, it, it took, it took a minute, but uh, like a, uh, like an Eddie Guerrero frog splash, it did, it did, it did hit. It did hit. Yeah. But like, I do like the idea. Yeah. Being a no DQ match because they've rammed up the violence, but it needs to be more than just a single match. And I think Dominic's shown he's good in small bursts, but I don't know how ready he is for like a proper singles match yet because like we don't know how far along he is in his training or how he's looking at the minute. But I think with Seth leading the match and like, enough like weapons and that to distract from any weaknesses he has at the minute uh, this early on, then yeah, I think this is the best like result for for Dominic, and I really hope if he wins, he uses the frog splash. Yeah, that would be that would be really cool. And honestly, like say what you want about Seth Rollins, but if you're gonna put um, relatively uh, un, I mean, it's not that Dominic is untrained or has very little training. He's grown up around it and everything. So for a new, um, I guess in that aspect, green WWE superstar, if you're gonna put him in there with anybody, um, putting him in there with with Rollins is the best outcome, I think. Um, and obviously because he's now signed a contract. Um, that uh, that that only means that if this goes well, then other things may also happen for him that are, you know, that that might be good. Um, so one last thing I want to talk about from Monday Night Raw is the uh, post-match uh, uh, sort of promo segment with uh, Orton uh, and Flair. Um, Randy Orton had about a 13 minute match with Kevin Owens. And obviously it was good. So, I mean, 
we're not really going to spend too much time talking about that. But we're back from commercial break uh, after the match. Uh, Orton and Flair are in the ring. Randy says that he has every right to be angry with Flair, but he can't find it in him because this fight was the result of Rick's ego. Ooh. But uh, Rick's the dirtiest player in the game, and he can't be mad. He's grown up around Flair, and he's had his back for 20 years, and he's one of the few reasons he's still in the ring, so he can't be mad. Orton asks uh, if Rick remembers uh, 2002, uh, Illinois. He got himself in a smidge of trouble. Don't know what that could possibly mean, Randy. (laughs) Um, And uh, everybody came to his side except for Rick. Uh, Flair was, was there. Um, and that, uh, that was the night that he fell in love with Flair. Um, but he doesn't love or respect him anymore. Boo. Uh, because he's a liability to him. Point is, uh, after all of this, they go back and forth and Rick tries to, uh, sort of like spill his heart out to, uh, Randy. And, uh, we get the, um, as Randy's trying to uh, assist, uh, Rick out of the ring, lo and behold, who could have seen it coming? Uh, Rick hits, uh, I mean, Randy hits Rick with a low blow and uh, the lights flicker, so we don't actually have to see Flair uh, taking any hits. Uh, he gets, um, we suspect, uh, field goal punted right in the head. And uh, down goes Rick Flair. Out comes Drew McIntyre. You son of a bitch. You're going to get everything that you deserve at, at SummerSlam. Blah, 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 blah. Um, more of Randy Orton being a uh, douchebag and more of a build to SummerSlam. Did this make you, Scott... Um, any more interested in the match or do you feel like maybe we're just sort of, we should be at the, the match already. Like we're already there. I think we, I think we're already there. I honestly think they hot shotted this a bit. I thought if Randy and Drew is going to continue as a long-term, like multi month feud, then I think the best thing to do is if Drew wins the first match and then you talk about how the loss drove Randy a bit even more, unsealed than he already is, and he takes that out on Flair. That then could be used for the rematch between him and, Rand- him and Drew. I didn't realise it would happen so early, because like, I don't really see like how bad Ric Flair could be for Randy. Like, he's like, everything's been okay, and some of week you say, yeah, you're a liability, I'm going to punch you in the head. And like, I don't know like why they would have the flicker, and I know a lot of people think it's a work, and that Rick, uh, Flair secretly still with Randy, and it was a plot. All along, but like, I know he's the dirtiest player in the game. I don't, don't think like a 70 year old Rick Flair would say, like, here's what we're going to do. You're going to kick me in the ball, and it's going to look like you've hit me, it kicks me in the head, but we're going to have a, I'm going to have a flip the, the lights guy 20 bucks. And he's going to suddenly turn the lights out and make it look like you hit me. Because like, I don't know why they would, else they would want it. I think it'll be worth putting a lot of thought into the whole loop, the lights going. I really think it's just a case of, oh, they want to get over retribution. It's just a minute and the lights are flickering on and off again. But I really don't think it's maybe many more than, oh, Randy's a bastard. And I, and as far as I can remember, too, it wasn't even mentioned about the lights. Like, we as wrestling fans are sort of, like, conditioned that when the lights go out, it's going to be something big. But now what they're doing, it, like, it, whether that's The Undertaker, Kane, The Fiend, uh, anything like that, DX playing, playing practical jokes, whatever the case may be. What they're doing with retribution is that they are there. It's like they're sort of half pregnant with it the entire time. They're like, oh, we're going to we're going to play with the light switch because we're fucking we're starting a fucking riot. We're out here fucking throwing bricks through glass windows and, and whatnot. And 
burning down guitar amps in in the uh, the parking lot and you know hitting the ropes with a chainsaw or whatever and it just I don't know I mean the, the retribution thing is just so weird you know <laughs> like it's just so strange um, and Randy uh, kicking Rick in the head is fine and whatever but if there was maybe I don't know, maybe like a shot of retribution. Because like even the whole um, Drew McIntyre thing at the end where he's like, you're a son of a bitch, you're an evil son of a bitch, and you're going to get everything that you know you deserve at SummerSlam. Why wasn't there like a shot of retribution like screwing with the, the, the power, the Transformers or something so we could explain why the lights were all fucked up? You know, like what? <laughs> otherwise it's literally just like, oh, we haven't paid our PSE&G bill in a few in a few months you know so like the lights are gonna flicker on and off because whatever you know so it, it just it was a hot ending i think but i think it just dragged on for too long i think that they had a little too much time um drew even had to repeat himself like three or four times because i guess all he was given was like you're an evil son of a bitch and you're gonna get everything that's coming to you at SummerSlam. that's it because he said it like four times it's the only reason i know that he said it um <laughs> But uh, anything else you want to talk about from Raw, or should we move on? Well, I think they, they're going to go through on SmackDown, but Retribution, what a load of shite. <laughs> oh, oh, what an absolute load of shite. Like, the only reason WT's, oh, a new faction is coming to Raw is because they got reported because this stuff is, this stuff is pre-taped, and so shit gets leaked out. But, like, don't mention it, because then people, people get like, reports come out before Raw or before down all the time, and sometimes nothing even happens. There was a Raw, the Raw that Daniel Bryan retired, it was reported all that day that Enzo and Cass were going to debut that same Raw, and they didn't show up. So, like, just, like, let it sound like people think, oh, maybe it's just rumours, maybe it's actually real. Because when they tease it, the people that makes everyone think, oh, Undisputed Era is going to show up. And then, because if you don't announce it, and then you see some randomers burning down the, the uh, the power store to whatever that was, the generator, and like the lights are flicking off on off the whole raw. People are, that's gonna get people intrigued, like what the hell is going on? But then like it just looks weird and then SmackDown, maybe their big takeover, which looked like if you took the Nexus debut from twenty ten and made it way less cool, like a thousand times less cool. Like Michael Cole, who's what, late forties, fifties, not a wrestler, and Corey Graves who retired due to concussions outran these people for maybe a menace to the entire company and then they awkwardly beat up the the people who are around ringside because there was no one else to beat up and then they carefully cut the ropes with a chainsaw <laughs> and then on the next row they throw a bag of brick through a glass door at the performance centre but they only break one side and then they go hey and run away like you're, you're not a threat you're like Teenagers who like to pr- try to prove that they're hard, so they start going smashing windows and celebrating. Like, yeah, we did a good job. And then, like, it's clear that the people who are going to be revealed as retribution aren't the people who are wearing the mask and that they're just standing. And as everyone keeps pointing out, these people are very short. Like the best, co- the best name I've heard for them is Aces and Five Eights. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, that is that's pretty fantastic. What's funny is uh, I agree with what they said. It was uh, on Stephen Larson's podcast. They joked, like, they joked, I bet, one of them said, I bet Dominic Dijko, which is going to be revealed as one of the members. I'm like, oh, he was here the whole time. Like, he clearly wasn't. Like, he's a foot taller than 
any of the people that they've had stand in at the minute. He like okay, so the thing. Let me ask. Let me okay. I work. I work in and around wrestling, and I've been involved in uh, certain. Um, you know, like discussions about what needs to be done show to show and whatnot. The, if someone came to me and was like, okay, so at the end of this show, we're going to have somebody come in. We're going to have a group of people come in. They're going to be totally masked up and they're going to come in with a fucking chainsaw and they're going to tear the ring apart and they're going to spray paint it and everything. How do we follow that up? And some person in the back of the room raises their hand and just goes, I got it guys. They're going to throw a cinder block through the window and play with the lights. I would have fucking Spartan kicked them in the chest. How is this a good idea? It's like somebody just ke- like they have a book like that. Say Retribution, the storyline was written by somebody and then that person got COVID. So they're not there to walk people through it anymore. So Big Brucey P is just sitting there picking a random page every week and is just like, we're doing this one. And it's like, all right, well, they already did the chainsaw thing on Friday. On Monday, why aren't we going to just have them? I don't know. Like, Okay, so the first Raw, they throw a fucking bunch of molotov cocktails on a transformer that was meant for the building mind you power didn't go out in the building for longer than 10 seconds the rest of the show you would think that a big ass transformer that looked like a fucking cabinet for a a guitar amp like you would think that would cause a little bit more damage it didn't so that already that doesn't make any fucking sense then they come go ahead go ahead and then uh, when they did the cinder block thing like they did like i said one side of the door and that was soon enough. And then, like, a referee or security guy came up to him, like, hey, don't do that. Like, when the nerdy kid sees the cool kids about to play a prank on somebody, says, you guys shouldn't do that, and they tell him to go away. Because, like, they don't beat the guy up or anything. Like, they, after they beat up, like, have the PC trainees on SmackDown, they don't beat the guy up. They just basically tell him, shut up. Hey, we're so proud of ourselves, and then run away. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they had a the camera panned out and they are all driving fucking mopeds. Dude, what it seems like to me is that the the daughters of anarchy here are like what they they are. They just seem like Florida high school students. Like I guarantee you, if you like, if you talk to somebody who lives in Florida or whatever, and they're just like, no, yeah, I mean, people throw center blocks through windows all the time. We hear chainsaws. I mean, it's Florida. There are no rules here. Um, like this, just what the fuck even is this? Like, and you're a hundred percent right when they for some reason teased that a new faction was coming in literally three quarters of the internet was like, Oh, it's going to be undisputed error. Cool. Awesome. Let's fucking do this. Let's, let's do it. But then they come in and they've been adding. Did you know, have you noticed they've either added like another girl or a taller individual to the group? Like every other show. Like, so it's just like, by the time we get, let's say Don, uh, Dominic Dijakovic and uh, the other bigger wrestler, wrestler people, like bigger wrestler people, you they can sort of try and trick you to be like, oh yeah, they were here the whole time. No, they weren't. Like, I, after Seth Rollins opened his dumb little fucking face again and was like, eh, we nobody pays attention to long star, long-term storytelling. Obviously, that's the feeling in the company is that in three or four weeks when they reveal retribution uh, to who, who they're supposed to be um, that we're going to just forget that some of them literally looked like they were five, nine, like <laughs> literally six weeks ago, or, you know, at the time, like in a couple weeks, it'll be six weeks from, from then that they looked like high school students. Like 
it, I don't I don't understand why they don't trust the audience as much as they they should. I get, you know, let's let's be real here. Some wrestling fans, most wrestling fans, me included, we're not the smartest people in the world. You know, we do forget things from time to time. But when you have a network that has your entire history on it, that you can fact check the shit that they're showing you on live television, like literally through a device that they're giving you, like, I, I don't get why they don't just try and stick to something for a few weeks. Yeah. One more thing that's the is like, if they wanted to prepare us for Donald Dijakovic being revealed, they want to get one of those 3Ds that they're wearing, but get like a 5XL and have one of the guys sit on the other guy's shoulder and make, and then give you a reason to think, oh yeah, that might be Dominic Dijakovic under there. Yeah. <laughs> and from what I've heard, the reason that the females of the group, you can see their hair through the mask, is that like, they had that segment last week on SmackDown where they beat up one of the female trainees and they wanted people to know that, oh, that's a woman under that mask. It's not a man being up a woman because, you know, so the satisfaction there because of anarchy, but man, women, intergender violence is apparently too far. Like, like well, and you could tell it was a woman because you could hear her voice. Well, as Lance Storm said, it's 2020 and we can't, we can't be having intergender wrestling anymore. It's just not something that can be done. It's they're, they're, the world is too complicated. Obviously, men and women can't control themselves to not do inappropriate things when they're in a ring with one another. I mean, obviously, like it, it's just silly to me that that this group like, OK, so say you're watching The Purge, right? <laughs> you're watching The Fucking Purge. Somebody breaks into somebody's house and it's just a, like a group of kids and their mothers. But the whole group of people who broke into the house are guys. They're not going to be like. Oh fuck! All right, we got to go to the next house, guys. Uh, obviously, you know this is this is wrong. We can't do this, and then they leave. No, if they're coming into wreck shit, if they're a group of anarchists and you know coming to change the game or whatever the fuck they're do- they're supposed to be doing, like second uh, as a side note, where's the hacker? Why aren't these guys affiliated with the hacker? Uh, that's exactly my thought. I thought somehow they're going to reveal this is to do with the hacker because like. They said we, I'm pretty sure that the hacker said we at some point, not I. So maybe this could be part of some bigger network or whatever. And I doubt that's what's going to happen. If it does, it's going to be like a last minute thing. Like, oh yeah, man, we did that hacker thing. Let's just throw that into retribution. And then the only thing is that it's been poor, so poorly handled the first couple of weeks. I know, like, let's ship bees and all that. But like, it's been so shitly handled in the first couple of weeks that when we get the people who are actually going to be real, when they unmask eventually... People aren't going to be shot. They're just going to feel bad for them. Like, so, like, we see Tommaso Ciampa and, say, Chelsea Green, because these are the names I've heard online. Like, they reveal themselves as part of the group. And, like, now you just going to feel bad that Ciampa went from one of the longest NXT champions to celebrating a, a Cinderblock going through a glass door. Because, like, I know he wasn't there at the time, but we're meant to believe that he's a, these are part of the same group that did those things originally. So... It's just weird. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen a thing on Twitter that uh, on this week's SmackDown, uh, Tegan Knox was part of the group as one of the stand-ins because, like, you see the colouring that she's put into her hair, like, cuts through the mask, and then some put on a side-by-side of her just regularly, which would make sense because she was there for the for the Battle Royal. Yeah, I mean, they're all, like, pretty much bubbled until they go to the Amway Center, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, but until they go to the Amway Center uh, in a couple of weeks 
because I think they're going to start taping there this week for stuff that's happening two weeks from now because I think they've already taped the next couple of weeks of uh, Raws and SmackDowns. But they've all been sort of bubbling either at near and around the Performance Center and by Full sale because I think they're still doing NXT at Full sale. I'm not exactly sure, but still. Um, they, they're all in the same area. So my question is, is like this entire COVID era or whatever... Why haven't we been doing more with the people who are there? Like, why not have like a little, you know, interbrand little things here and there? And then you get to the interbrand battle royal, um, which fuck it, let's just cover that now. And you put Oscar in two title matches. What the fuck was the point of having all three brands in one battle royal if Oscar now has to fight? Bailey and Sasha at SummerSlam for both of their titles in separate matches. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember waking up and seeing the result of the battle and seeing that Asuka had won. And I, I looked around social media and I wondered to myself, why aren't people more annoyed about this? Because I, I guarantee you, take Asuka out and put Charlotte Flair in, and Twitter melts. Like, oh my god, Charlotte Flair's in Tuesday and she's burying everybody else. Like, And yet, oh, but we like Asuka. Like, she's funny. And I was like, no. Because you've got Shayna Baszler in that battle. You've got Bianca Belair in that battle. You have Shotzi Blackheart. You have the aforementioned greatest women's wrestler of all time, Tegan Knox, in that battle royal. And you you give Asuka two title matches. Like, I definitely think Shayna Baszler should have won that battle royal. Because, like, if you're not going to put the Rollins title on her, which you have had like three opportunities to do, like then put her on SmackDown because Shayna versus Bailey could be quite interested. And like, because the only thing with Charlotte and that, like, because I remember seeing our Mania review that Charlotte beating Rhea Ripley made more sense storyline-wise for what they could do with it later on uh, than Becky beating Shayna. And I stand by that, even though the Charlotte thing didn't quite work out as we hoped with NXT. But, like, Charlotte made a lot more sense. But so many people defended Becky winning than, and hated Charlotte winning simply because they happened to like one and hate the other. But honestly, like, if it wasn't Asuka and it was, like, someone else like Charlotte, people would be shitting all over this. People would be talking about how shit it's going to be at SummerSlam. Like, and plus, like, see... Bailey retains over Asuka, but then Sasha comes out and loses, or vice versa. It's going to make them look shit, because you couldn't beat the person that your tag partner just beat two minutes ago after they'd been in like a 15-minute match. Be like, yeah, sure, that could serve to further the story with Bailey and Sasha, but like, it just makes you look like an idiot. Yeah, and I think, like, there's like, just thinking about it now, like, it may end up being where Bailey loses and then Sasha comes in right after the match, like, two seconds later, and then beats Asuka and keeps her title. So that, like, strengthens the, like, the separation that's obviously coming for Banks and, and Bailey. But, like, with Asuka, you're 100% right. We like Asuka, so we're not going to complain. But this is a normal WWE sort of over, uh, like, like an over uh, justification for like, oh, well, we we screwed up Oscar for the better part of last year. So let's like overcorrect. That's the word I was looking for over. Like it's an overcorrection uh, for the the last six months or something, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't. And and now they've lost Kyrie. So they couldn't do Kyrie and Bailey and Oscar and 
Banks. They couldn't do that because Kyrie's gone um, because they just wasted Kyrie Sane. Uh, and she decided to, you know, go back home because she was tired of being, you know, wasted, I guess. But there's three entire brands of women who belonged. I honestly, I think if you could have put fucking like who's doing nothing in, in, in NXT right now, uh, Shotzi Blackheart, she's not doing nothing, but she's doing like next to nothing. And like, you could have put her in the the match with fucking Bailey at SummerSlam and that would have been fine. You know, mm-hmm. why did it have to be Asuka twice? Because anyway, I feel like you said there she she's been one of the people who to most benefit from Becky leaving. She's then she won the Raw Women's title and then she's basically been the figure point of Raw and that one's division now she's coming over to SmackDown and she's been in the main feed with Bailey and Sasha who have been great and their roles the last couple of months. But, like, they shouldn't be the only ones to benefit from Becky being gone because you've got Bianca, you've got the Iconics, Ruby, Liv Morgan. You've got a decent, actually, women's division when you actually look at it on Raw of people who can actually benefit from getting more of a push and putting the title scene rather than just putting all the belts on the same people. And then on SmackDown, you've got the whole thing, Naomi deserving better and all the fans behind her and they even acknowledged it. So, like, I know you've done it already and they had a kind of underwhelming match in Saudi Arabia but like give Naomi the battle royal win and tell the story of Bailey saying basically like you don't deserve it I earned everything I have you haven't earned to step into a ring with a role model like me and give Naomi actually prove that Naomi does deserve better yeah and and uh like like I was um I was I was in my own stupid kind of way I was getting to that with their overcorrection they've seen the internet's reaction to Asuka being a standout star of this sort of like pandemic era of Raw and SmackDown. So they're like, oh, let's just fucking put her everywhere. Obviously, she's doing great. But in four months, if they keep putting her on every show, if she doesn't get injured, which, you know, knock on wood that she doesn't get injured, um, you're just going to you're going to over uh, you're going to like put her on TV too much and we're going to get sick of her. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. As much as we all love Asuka now, like we loved Asuka two years ago and, and all of that jazz, you're going to overexpose her because you're making an overcorrection with this like really sort of silly sort of booking idea that everybody's got to have two titles now to be important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, like I said, like payback, we were talking about this before we started recording, payback is a week later. And they've already, not, they've already announced a match for Payback. You just said Bailey and Sasha will defend the women's tag team titles at, sorry, at Payback. I don't I think I might have said that last year, but like, they're basically the same title. Like, lump that in with Big and Vengeance. They're all the same meanings of a pay per view. So, yeah, Payback's happening. The women's titles are on the line. Like, who do you actually get? Because really, the only people I could see is like the Iconics or Ruby and Blizz. And they've already done the whole iconic thing, so like you said, like we don't know, we don't have any other tag teams in that because we had the Kabuki Warriors, we had the Iconics, and then other than the story they're trying to tell with Liv and Ruby, I don't think they've took the time while they've got Bailey and Sasha being so dominant as one tag champs. They haven't took the time to probably build any tag teams to go up against them, other than maybe Nikki and Alexa. But now they're doing 
Sterling. They don't know what the hell Alexis is doing right now with Braun and the Fiend. But yeah, you know what though? Like that's way more fucking. Like I don't know exactly Alexa's part in the Braun and the Fiend thing, but you know what? I'm fucking entertained and interested in it. Like at least it's not like with Retribution, where like I almost called them retaliation for some reason. But with Retribution, they like there's like it seems aimless. Raw Raw Underground seems aimless. Um, the Oscar and Bailey and Sasha thing, it, it seems aimless. Like it just sort of seems like. Well, we know that we're going to do Banks and Bailey at some point, so let's just do random shit uh, around everything else. And the Alexa thing actually seems like there's some sort of point to it. Like that they're like, I mean, maybe I'm just putting a little too much stock in a company that's been, you know, outwardly fucking playing with my emotions for six years at the mo- at, at the least. You know, it just a lot of this is just frustrating. A lot of this is just frustrating to watch. You, you know what I'm looking forward to, though, is more than either of Asuka's matches. It's awesome. Like, the hair v. hair match that they announced, that seems more intriguing than either of these two matches because I actually thought about it when it was the reveal that Sonya was involved in the whole getting involved in what was the manager's relationship like a week before Mania. This is technically the longest-running storyline that we've got right now. Because obviously the both of them disappeared from TV because I think they were around somebody who had COVID or something like that, so they had to take them off TV for a while. That's at least what I heard. So technically, Sonya versus Mandy Rose is the longest running story WWE has right now, and I'm actually quite looking forward to it because like the idea of either of them having to be bald going forward. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be Sonya. Like, it's going to be like that time they shaved Molly Holly said at WrestleMania. Yeah, I think I, I, that's, uh, that's you know, it's uh, this match is something I'm looking forward to as well. It's not going to be, you know, particularly the best wrestled match, but it's the first time that they've done uh, hair versus hair. And I think like eight or 10 years or something. I th- it wasn't the CM Punk thing the last time they did that, like mask versus hair or hair versus hair. Something like that, yeah. And like, the reason I say something is like, it seems like booking wise, the idea of like, oh, I've, I've cut your hair to set up a, a hair v. hair match, which means I'm going to be the one that loses my hair. Because like, yeah, like, yeah. like, like in weapons matches, I've set this table up. So by the way, I'm going to go on this tab- to this table in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and But you know what? Like as much as much as like it, it's even say we're right. I'm not going to come out of that being disappointed because it's because sometimes bog standard wrestling re- wrestling booking can be entertaining if it's written well if you write mm-hmm. it well if you do something well it doesn't matter how simple it is it could be uh this guy robbed a bank batman came in batman kicked his ass the guy went to jail but if it's written fine you know it it, it doesn't matter that it was regular and standard you know average if you will um mm-hmm. and yeah mandy and sonya they've been entertaining mandy with Otis, which, by the way, just in case you forgot, like everybody else in the world, you know, people listening to this, Otis is still Money in the Bank holder. Just put that he out is? there. Yes. Yes, he is. Like, well, like, he disappeared, too, on TV. I don't know why for a couple of weeks. But, like, surely by now he should have, like, had a feud with somebody who wasn't happy with the fact that he was Mr. Money in the Bank. Like, or at least do something with them, I mean, for God's sake. Like, I would rather, like, you actually made it randomly a thing just for him that 
Yeah, you can cash in for the tie titles. Because, again, we have heel tag champs right now, and you actually do something with a guy holding the money in the bank briefcase. Like, I've noticed we've pitched a lot on this podcast up so far, haven't we? Like, I mean, W likes to slide fans for complaining or like that, and we're not helping that perception right now. And, like, I hate to be, like, as much as it sounds funny probably to the people listening, if you listen a lot, uh, I can be, you know, quite the bitch moan and complainer from time to time on this show. But the thing is, is that I hate to be that guy. I would love nothing more than to come on literally every time I do a podcast and be like, this was awesome. I want to talk about how awesome this was. But WWE has shown, especially over the last few years, that it doesn't pay to be invested. It doesn't pay to get your fucking hopes up because what they're going to do is either Vince is going to forget or lose interest in something, and then they're going to pivot to something else. I'm surprised that the fucking briefcase is still with Otis. I'm surprised they didn't give it to fucking Dolph Ziggler or something. Because you remember that fucking earth-shaking fucking main event program that he had with fucking Dolph Ziggler? No, you're not the only one. Like, it's just... it's. I I go through conversations with this with a lot of of people I talk wrestling with. Uh, Even in, you know, at work and stuff, when I talk to people about wrestling, you get to a point where you're like, eh, it was shit, whatever. It's yeah. raw. Like, the only main reason I'm so optimistic with the hair free hair match is because, again, the idea of either of them being bald going forward, and then, like, like especially with Sonya, because like, her heel work has gotten a lot of praise from people. And I like the idea of her like losing her hair and Mandy being the one who, to win when Sonya was so determined to take everything away from her. I like the idea of her losing her hair basically being the thing that drives her even further over the edge. Because then you could use that to make Sonya top heel and then we wouldn't have to rely on people like Timmy now all the time would you say that um they sort of seem to have booked themselves into a few separate corners here with the different stories that they're in now like because knowing that they have weekly television they have what three hours for raw two hours for smackdown and two hours for nxt that's nine hours of television a week that they have to stare down the barrel of every week do you think that possibly that this is just the result of them just sort of going ah fuck that yeah let's just let's put it on tv because we have to put this up possibly yeah because they know that like if people disappear for weeks and if they forget and they're not focused on our storyline people like us will show up on a podcast and say why aren't they doing this why did they forget about this thing just for a few weeks it did seem like why have we forgotten about the manager roads on your storyline and then randomly we had Sonya creeping in the background while Otis was talking to Mandy. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, moving on, moving on from all of that because it's we've we've gotten to a pretty bleak place here on the podcast. Let's move on to uh, slightly greener pastures or slightly black and yellow pastures. Can I get some? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? Nice. No. No. Nobody. All right. Self high five. Okay. Uh, NXT this week um, was okay. Um, I mean, and I hate to, again, be pessimistic, but it was okay. Um, we get a recap of the NXT Tag Team title match that literally was just uh, the vehicle for Pat McAfee attacking Adam Cole, which was a fucking dynamite segment. It was awesome. I I was just as, spe- um, like, I was just as hesitant as pretty much everybody else that, like, oh, fucking Pat McAfee and Adam Cole. But the, the truth of the matter is Pat McAfee's had a, a ring in his in his house for, like, four or five years at this point, I think. And if you, if you have a ring at your house, you're going to use it. And he put out a video where it didn't look half bad. 
Like, I see guys training for wrestling a lot. And some guys I see don't look that smooth. You know, he's a former NFL punter for the Indianapolis Colts. And you have to be in really, really great shape to play in the NFL. Um, and he showed that he's still very athletic and has something to deliver here. Um, and um, before we get to the opening contest, um, have you seen the video of uh, Pat McAfee training, Scott? Uh, I haven't. I uh, I want to believe that he's going to do well. And it's matter like he put a post on Twitter basically slagging some people who have came in and it didn't look good. Like, pretty sure Tyson Fury was one of them that he mentioned. So basically he wants to try and actually put on a good match with, with Adam Cole because like, he knows that people when seeing this match will probably turn their noses up at it. It's just, like, why? Like, Adam Cole's first takeover match post losing the title after Four hundred, three hundred or four hundred. How many days he had it? As against Pat McAfee. <sighs> I think it was four hundred and three days. By the way, who are we supposed to cheer for? In reality, I know it's Adam Cole because we all like Adam Cole. But in kayfabe, the guy, the heel stable, that's still that even though they get cheered, they're still heel group. And the NFL guy who basically slide off the guy who's been the top guy for NC for more than a year. Because he's small and basically just disrespected, like one of your top wrestlers. Is he the good guy? What is happening? It's just too confusing. I mean, I like NXT. I don't entirely get all the criticism that people say it's not the same or it's not as good. Because I think a lot of that is just because people, there are just people who prefer Dynamite saying that. Like, and I know NXT suffers because, oh, like, oh, because they've had to do it in front of performance center trainees. Like, so AEW Dynamite isn't that much better because they've got 40 or so people up in the rafters that you can barely hear and Billy Gunn shouting yay every so often during a match. Like they both, They're both suffering because they don't have crowds. AEW just happens to have more of a crowd because they're in a fucking thing attached to a football stadium where somebody has to make do with full film. See, I agree. I agree with that, that both have suffered um, not having a crowd. And I think that, you know, uh, with um, AEW having the... 40 or so fans up in the uh, in the crowd area has helped and also NXT. But I feel like the um, the problem that I think a lot of people have with NXT at the moment is that it's starting to have that main roster sheen over it a little bit because now it's on USA and they're up against uh, AEW, which is of their own choosing, mind you. There's, that's not something that was going to happen before Dynamite got announced. It was after Dynamite got announced, they decided to be on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. Um, and there is a little bit of listlessness when it comes to the booking in NXT. It is not the same show that it was when it was just on the network or even the first few weeks, few months of it being um, on USA. I can see people's um, reasoning behind that. AEW has struggled. Too. I mean, I prefer AEW most weeks. I'm not going to lie. I do prefer... I watch Dynamite first every week when I go to watch it. I, it's appointment viewing for me. Um, but I always do follow it up with NXT. And there are some weeks I've liked NXT more. There are some weeks I've liked AEW more. But uh, at the end of the day, it is sort of... It does sort of have that like network and main roster sort of like grease over the top of it now because a lot of things do just sort of seem thrown at the wall. Look, they put both belts on Keith Lee literally just so they could pop a rating. Mm. Literally just so they could pop a rating. That's the only reason NXT 
has been doing certain things. And I think that they're starting to find their way a little bit more now. Granted, Pat McAfee versus Adam Cole is essentially, you know, the uh, LT versus Bam Bam or, you know, pick pick your celebrity versus WWE superstar match. And that it's that for this generation right now because Pat McAfee can bring in a slightly bigger mainstream, a slightly, I don't want to say bigger mainstream audience, but he can be, he's going to pull a number for that match, I think. I think next week they'll pull a pretty decent number to see uh, what people will uh, what people will want to see what Pat McAfee and Adam Cole facing off will look like. I'm sure, um, but I think they're starting to find their way, especially with the Carrying Cross and Keith Lee stuff, which was how we um, opened the show. Carrying Cross uh, had a match against Danny Birch because Danny Birch was one of the guys that Carrying Cross um, beat up in the back last week. Um, and uh, they had a pretty good match. I like Danny Birch. I think he's very hard-hitting. Carrying Cross is cool, but I think by the end of his entrance, I'm sort of half asleep because the entrance was cool the first couple of times, but now it's literally like a three- or four-minute intro. And I've seen it. It's not TakeOver. It's not WrestleMania. Just get to the fucking ring. <laughs> like, just get to the ring, damn it. Like, <laughs> like I get it, you know? Um, Danny, Danny Birch enters the ring and immediately calls for the bell, which I really enjoyed. I thought that was uh, very interesting of him to do. He he like call for the bell, call for the bell, call for the bell, and when the bell finally rang, he charges at uh, Cross. He beats up Cross for a little bit, but then of course, as we know, Cross becomes unfazed by it. Hits uh, Birch with a uh, an insane looking German suplex. Uh, uh, Cross gets to his feet. Uh, I'm sorry, Birch hit Cross with a German suplex. Then Cross gets to his uh, his feet, nails Birch with a forearm to the face. Birch gets back up to his feet, hits another German suplex and a clothesline on Cross, and covers uh, Cross for the two. This was a big, like big hitting match. Um, there's a couple trans uh, submission um, transitions and stuff because people love that kind of stuff. Um, and I think this is what NXT is sort of doing right here, where some of, they're letting some of these matches get a little more physical. Um, I think that's like uh, an upside for what they're doing lately. Karrion Cross obviously gets the win. And at the end of the match, Keith Lee marches down to the ring with an NXT packet in his hand. Uh, Cross and Scarlet retreat uh, outside the ring, and Cross and Lee stare, stare each other down. Lee gets a mic and says that he isn't surprised on how Cross acts. He says that he offered Cross to get in the ring, uh, but Cross keeps avoiding him, keeps ducking him, saying that you uh, that he, uh, Keith Lee essentially essentially saying that Cross is being a little bitch. Um, Lee says that he begged and pleaded with William Regal to get a match between himself and Cross. He says that Regal's name is on the contract and Lee's name is there. He tosses the clipboard down. Scarlett retrieves it and signs the packet, seemingly approving a match between the two. Scarlett slides the clipboard back into the ring for Lee, but Lee doesn't move to pick it up at first. He just sort of stares at Scarlett and Cross. Uh, Scarlett eventually goes to stand next to Cross and Lee reaches down to pick up the contract. Lee opens it up and a fireball emerges uh, that lands nowhere near his face. Just they showed it like six different times. It was a flash of light near his face. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this will play into how I feel about what they did following this in a moment. But uh, Lee is attended to by referees and medical staff. Uh, Lee pushes away medical attention and walks to the back, shouting things like, "Where's Cross? Just let me get Cross." Uh, you know, where's this? Where's this guy at? Blah 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 blah. Um, Lee walks to the backstage and cameras continue to follow him for what feels like forever, as we are in split screen view for Drake Maverick versus Killian Dane. I'm going to start out here by saying that they did my boys dirty here. I like both of these guys a whole hell of a lot, even though Killian Dane is sort of doing uh, Casanova Valentine's uh, gimmick. If you know it, then you know. If you don't, look it up. It's exactly the fucking same. 
Um, shout out to my boy uh, Cas- Casanova Valentine for being the fucking man. Anyway, Drake Maverick versus, versus Killian Dane. They get their entrances split screen. The match begins in split screen as we stick with Keith Lee, which if you watch this uh, back, I would recommend that you guys watch this back if you haven't, because um, there are times where it is very obvious that they think that they had to have cut by now. They had to have. Um, and um, then we go back to full screen for all of 30 seconds for Dane and Maverick before they cut to commercial, which is then again in split screen. Um, and we show, of course, an ambulance in full screen, cutting away from the match entirely. Uh, the ambulance leaves the performance center in the Undisputed Era, arrives at the arena. Uh, they immediately come out and uh, break up the match between uh, Maverick and Dane. I swear to God, I'm not padding this out. This is exactly what happened. We literally got to see like 40 seconds of these two guys wrestling, which could have been a pretty decent match. And from what it looked like, it was a pretty decent match until the Undisputed Era came out to uh, ruin all of our fun. Um, fuck this. Fuck this in the face. Um, this is shit. They should not have done this to two guys who uh, deserve like at least the ability to wrestle on television. This was bullshit. Um, they should have just fucking decided to stay with Keith Lee or had the fucking match and have it be a quick match and then Undisputed Era comes out because there is no way you're going to get these guys over. There is no way that you're going to get um, like any any momentum for these guys if this is what you're going to give them. Hands down. Hands down. I know yeah. that you didn't see all of this, Scott, but just based on how... Because uh, I read it pretty much verbatim from this rundown that I'm reading. Um, what do you think of the way that they sort of played Drake and uh, Dan? Well, well, to be fair, I feel, like, uh, I feel like I did watch it the way you just described it. I feel like I was listening to an audiobook version of it. Thank you did you. such a good job there. Otherwise, I just earlier, I didn't mean to seem like I was going on the defensive like, with NXT and AEW, because half the time I do feel like... Because I like that... We, on this podcast, we don't we get we do look at AEW as quickly as we look we look at like WWE. And I do feel like sometimes it can look like we just shit on AEW because like especially when we did that two part like a uh, fighter fest screaming and bashing, we were very critical of some of the stuff that they did, especially like Brian Cage and shit like that. But the Keith Lee thing with the fireball, it's just weird because yeah, I think I've watched a few different replays of it. It doesn't look like it happened. It was like. Yeah, like it might have been bright and a bit warm, but it didn't look like it touched his eyes at all. Uh, I hope this doesn't become a regular thing of Scarlet and that, because like, they keep doing this whole thing with well, the mysterious woman Scarlet and the Karen Gross, who we don't know much about. Like, please don't make this, make this their thing. Don't make Scarlet, Scarlet some sort of witch or some sort of supernatural being, because like, they did that with Bray and it didn't help them. Please don't make this a regular thing with them. And then, yeah, I think the idea of like, oh, like, but we were. I think it's maybe an unpredictability thing, like the fact that it's having to cut into the regularly scheduled match and what's happening backstage. And like, I would have really liked, I would have liked to have seen Killing Dean versus Drake Maverick because that does sound like a match that deserves time. And what it sounds like to me, like remember at Great Balls of Fire when uh, they were taking longer to get brought out, like the ambulance or whatever. So they ran away through Kurt Hawkins and Heath Slater out to the ring, and like Kurt's still adjusting his gear as he's coming out. And they don't even show the match. Like, you just ran away as it's cutting backstage. You hear, not even in split screen, you hear, your winner, Heath Slater. And yeah, but you know what? what? I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm sorry to cut you off. But at Great Balls of Fire, there was 12,000 people in the arena. So they had to send something out. This wasn't, this wasn't that. 
This was trainees and people who work at the performance center in the crowd. They could have just cut because I, this wasn't. I, I don't think they're doing NXT live. They're they're taping it. So why did we? You know why would they do this to to Maverick? It literally just. It, it, it go on, go on. It just pisses me off so much because they didn't have to do this. They chose to do this. Because mm-hmm. like, I remember he actually went on Twitter after it and said like, because somebody asked like, what actually happened? Like, because he walked on there. Why? How did that match finish? And uh, he's like, went, I won with the Canadian Destroyer off like the second rope or whatever. <laughs> like, and I know you mentioned like, I have I didn't see it. Like all of this, like, I didn't see the Maverick segment because it doesn't sound like there was much to see from where you read it out. But that's the thing with me. Like, I, I've been watching so much wrestling at the minute that even like most people will watch Raw and SmackDown through YouTube highlights. I've started doing that with NXT and AEW some weeks because, like, the way I consume wrestling at the minute is even though I've got so much more extra time, like, out of all the wrestling going on right now, the one I, I usually make more of a priority is Impact at the minute. Because I've been talking a lot about that on my podcast, and really I've just been hooked in because like they're doing this two-part special emergence coming up soon. Uh, so that I have usually fans doing a lot with the G1 coming up, and I do a show about that or an ESSR. So I need to focus on those two. I need to watch Raw and SmackDown from '99 most weeks, and now I've got Armageddon coming. I had to watch that. Oh I Jesus! Had to, I had to watch. Uh, I need to find time to watch SummerSlam '94. Because me and Paul are doing a show about that because we like to do like retro versions of like pay per views when like when the big fours come out because like we did ninety three last year so I thought fuck it Paul just added something ninety four to his wrestling like VHS collection so we'll, we'll do that one we'll talk about Taker v Taker and then you got Raw SmackDown NXT like you said nine hours of content there two or five live occasionally if I remember that that's there and it's a decent match that catches my attention and then AEW and whatever they've got going on so. Like there's just too much wrestling for me to keep up with, and I can get why people who cover it so re- like so regularly can some weeks seem like they don't care about wrestling because there's just so much going on, and like there are times where it's just like I need to avoid all wrestling, like I need to finish season two of the Umbrella Academy or finish season four of Lucifer. I need to find something non-wrestling to watch, and I mentioned those two because those have been the two shows I've been watching a lot of recently. Great choices. They're great choices. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the boys starting soon. I think it comes out the day before All Out. Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's the, the third or the fourth. I think of uh, September is the boys. I was actually just watching before while I was waiting for my stuff to get done with the dryer uh, before we started doing this podcast. I was um, I was uh, watching uh, a season from uh, an episode from last season of the boys, and God damn it, that show is so good. It's just so good. It really is because like. I remember, like, every YouTube video for a while, it seemed that I watched the same 10-second advert for the boys would come up. And I got to the point, like, I don't care. And, like, the same clip of Carl Urban talking about who shit superheroes are would come up. And then I actually probably watched the, a full-on trailer for it. And I thought, actually, I want to watch this. And then me and my brother just binge-watched season one. And he comes back from holiday on, like, the second. So... Like, I think I'm coming over as the day of All Out, and we're going to watch that, and then having people over for All Out. So basically, I'm scheduling my weekend around the boys' premiere. It's a damn good way to go, because uh, I just finished Umbrella Academy Season 2, and don't worry, Scott, no spoilers, it is 
fantastic again, and I'm sure that uh, you'll enjoy it when you get to the end of it. I'm looking forward to Lucifer Season 5. But as you see, ladies and gentlemen, it is so frustrating to talk about certain things sometimes that uh, with wrestling that we got to talk about the good in the world. Um, so Adam Cole gets on the mic, uh, calls out Pat McAfee. Cole says that uh, McAfee got lucky because uh, he kicked Cole while Cole's hands were behind his back. They show a replay literally 20 minutes after this, and his hands were not behind his back. <laughs> so right then and there, right then and there, you're a liar, Cole. Um, so Cole says that he's the longest reigning NXT champion in history. He is. Um, and that he is uh, that, and that's who McAfee is stepping into the ring with the takeover. Cole calls out McAfee and challenges him to come to NXT next week and get in the ring and look him in the face. Actually, the, this line was my favorite. Uh, Cole specifically said, I need you to get in this ring, stare me in this face, and listen to me as I say how I'm going to whoop that ass. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, he says that uh, McAfee will learn that he is in way over his head next week, he tosses the mic down, and all four members of the Undisputed Era posing in the ring. I'm looking forward to uh, this confrontation next week. I'm actually super into McAfee and Cole. Um, I like McAfee. Like, I saw him, I went to the Summer Sam event at Caroline's on Broadway last year. Um, was it last year? Might have been the year before. Whatever it was. Uh, and it was uh, Sam Roberts and uh, Brucey e. P and Pat McAfee, Corey Graves, and a handful of other wrestlers uh, there at the time. And it was a really fun show. That was the night that I um, fell in love with Pat McAfee as a person because he's a funny, funny dude. Um and uh, him being the heel here is, I don't know, weird considering Cole and the Undisputed Era have been dastardly, dastardly heels for like going on three years in NXT. Uh, but now because we have this outsider coming in, now he's the bad guy. Undisputed Era is not the bad guy. Even with all those things murking up the waters a little bit, um, it I'm looking forward to this. Are you looking forward to not only the confrontation next week, but then their match at TakeOver? The sexiest TakeOver in history. Takeover 30. Yeah, how do we make a takeover even more sexy? Let's add Pat McAfee to the card, apparently. You're goddamn right. Newlywed Pat McAfee. Goddamn right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm looking forward to see what they what they do. Because, like, we talked about uh, Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio and Seth being a street fight. I'm surprised they, they haven't had it, added any, like, gimmicks to this match, given that Pat, even though he's a athlete, he's not a wrestler. Uh, and I also like, I think it was somewhere on Twitter, I don't know if it was there to put this up over, but it was like a compilation of all the times Pat and Adam had put his heads before the whole big controversy on the podcast. So like times on like pre-show fans where he did the nice short dork or like on the watch alongs that he used to do. Yes. And yeah, my yeah. favorite one my favorite one is like Pat's in like the background is Adam Cole just trying to tell him and I can't he can't remember what Pat says and then just Adam Cole just going like, Oh shut up, Pat. Yeah, that is a classic one. Um that I love that this sort of has been like their thing that they just sort of bicker with one another, and now it's an actual thing. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's amazing how they could turn this. Like these guys who just bicker all the time and then have a match. You know, I look forward to eventually when my me and Nathan's rivalry eventually takes us to a ring <laughs> at some point, and I get the opportunity to truly beat the shit out of him. Oh my god! Oh my god! I need that to happen. I just need it to happen so fucking bad. Like I need the world to go back to normal. So one or the both of you can find a wrestling ring and just beat fuck out of one another for not only my entertainment, but uh, for the entertainment of the hundreds and hundreds of people who listen to this podcast. I, uh, 
actually know somebody who's a ring announcer. So, so if Nathan could drag his arse up to Glasgow, there's a there's a minute chance I could make that happen. But you hey, never. You he know. said he said it himself. He can take a mega bus. It takes like two hours. Because <laughs> actually, my brother actually trained to be a wrestler for like a few weeks, and then realized it wasn't for him. And this was back, and he was actually training the beat head trainer at the time. Actually, was Kelly and Dane. Oh, that's awesome! Back when he was big demo. <laughs> Um, yeah. you don't remember. My brother actually has taken a cross body from him, and he's described it as one of the most terrifying experiences of his entire life. Because <laughs> he makes that big noise where he runs out of the just runs yeah. that. Uh, I remember I, I was in a ring um, a handful of times doing some training. And uh, one of the trainers, because I wasn't bumping correctly, because when you bump, you have to like get over the, uh, the fear of falling, um, mm-hmm. which I never was able to do. Um, so when I went to go take a bump off a clothesline, the trainer who was going to clothesline me got pushed to the side and this larger trainer who was somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 pounds, um, stood up and said, I'll do it. Now, for those who aren't aware of what I look like, I'm 150 pounds, maybe, maybe 150 pounds. I took this clothesline and let me tell you, my brain didn't have time to be afraid of falling and uh, it, it, I, can, I can attest to it being one of the scariest moments of my life. Um, next up, after commercial, uh, before the commercial, rather, we got uh, a recap of Legado del Fantasma um, attacking um, Breezango. Um, and then right when we come back from the uh, commercial break, we get Tyler Breeze versus the NXT Cruiserweight Champion Santos, Ex- uh, uh, Santos Escobar with Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza. Um, Santos Escobar says to... Uh, Wild and Mendoza, that he he has this. They can go to the back and relax. They do. Um, Escobar runs down Breeze immediately, and they wrestle back and forth for a while. For some reason, Hall of Fame uh, commentary person Vic Joseph, big time and fuck Hall of Fame member himself, is on this show. Don't know why. Wasn't explained. Um, um, he interrupts. Morrow to say that we are hoping to get a medical update on Keith Lee later tonight. That's it. Great job, Vic. You fucking even big timing Mauro Ronaldo, who is obviously the sweetest man on the face of the planet. Um, in the ring, Escobar hits uh, Breeze with a series of kicks to the chest. They wrestle back and forth some more. Um, they go to the outside a little bit. Uh, Escobar runs back into the ring. Breeze follows. Escobar hits. Uh, Escobar runs across the ring, rolls out again. Big back and forth. Back back from commercial. Um, Escobar hits the Manhattan drop on Tyler Breeze, then follows it up with a running knee. Escobar picks up Breeze and goes for the Phantom Driver, but Breeze escapes and pushes Escobar out of the ring. Breeze goes to pin uh, Escobar after a supermodel kick, uh, but Mendoza and Wild and Wild run down to the ring. Uh, Mendoza and Wild surround the ring, and uh, Breeze runs uh, side to side, hitting super kicks on Wild and Mendoza. Escobar uses the distraction to pick up uh, Breeze and hit him with the Phantom Driver, pinning him. Santos Escobar gets the win. Um, just based on how I described it, uh, Scott, um, how do you feel about them doing, uh, them continuing this Breezango versus uh, Legado del Fantasma situation? I, I did see the, the, the uh, assault of Angle, and I, I don't even think we should just say it was an assault. Like, Van Dangle got literally kidnapped. They just shoved him in the back of the car and just drove off as 
Tyler Breeze broke into a light jog behind them, as if he already gave up on trying to catch up to them. It's weird because they were teasing Swerve as a potential challenger for the Cruiserweight title. He said he was the only one to ever say beat uh, Santos Escobar in the Cruiserweight Interim title tournament, so like, he's only lost against him. So, like, I would be happy if like, they got like, some sort of triple threat, like Tyler Breeze, Swerve, and Escobar at TakeOver, because like, they usually have five matches, and so far, only four matches have been confirmed. Cause, like, I, really, I, I just want to see Tyler Breeze with a title, and if that means a, a brief reign as Cruiserweight champion, like, I wouldn't say no. Is he under 205? Um, he's competed in on two or five live, so I have to think so. Like he's, cause he, he spent, I mean, he spent a lot of time off TV before returning to NXT. He's obviously trimmed down to suit the weight limit. So, yeah, that's true. Also, if you haven't, uh, this goes for you as well, Scott. If you haven't checked out the Our uh, Truth Game Show episode with Brizango, please do. It is, I mean, <laughs> Chef's Kiss. Mwah! It is amazing. <laughs> It is the if you're not watching the Archwood Game Show, there's like six or seven episodes out right now. Binge it. It is unbelievably entertaining. Our Truth is so so funny. Um, as uh, Legato del Fantasma celebrate in the ring, Fandango comes down uh, on a crutch and his arm in a sling. Fandango is able to take out Wild and Mendoza with the crutch, but Escobar takes Fandango down. Um, they continue to attack Brizango, but Isaiah Swerve Scott runs down to the ring and fights off all three members of Legado del Fantasma as they retreat up the ramp. So uh, it appears that possibly next week or maybe even at uh, the sexiest takeover in history, um, we might get um, a six man uh, for uh, at that show. And maybe it'll lead to Swerve versus um, Santos Escobar, maybe for the title. We get a video package for Dakota Kai promoting her match between herself and Io Shirai. Uh, then we go to commercial break. Back from commercial, we get a video package for Ridge Holland, who is going to have a second chance match with Johnny Gargano. Sorry, sorry. something to say about Ridge Holland here, because like I saw a little bit of his stuff in the UK. I still don't know what he is. I think somebody in the back told Vince or Triple H what Peaky Blinders, are, and this is their attempt at it. And even though he's from Yorkshire, and I'm pretty sure uh, Peaky Blinders is in Birmingham. That doesn't make a difference to me. And, like, my my brother doesn't really watch it. A lot of NXT, he's seen, like, the takeovers, and we've been to one of the takeovers. I, actually, we also went out of taping as well, because they came to Glasgow. And so, like, he, he doesn't know that much about it, and, like, I haven't really kept up with it since, like, the last takeover they did. But my brother, literally, we were talking about NXT and some matches coming up, and it was when Rick Trolland had his first triple threat match. My brother literally said to me, what the fuck's a Ridge Holland? <laughs> um, I liked Ridge Holland uh, just based off what I saw in NXT UK and uh, his match in the triple threat last week. I think he did fine, um, uh, according to a few reports floating around the Internet. So take from that what you will. Uh, apparently, Ridge Holland is set to be like sort of like the next big guy that they're going to try and work on a little bit. And I can see it. I mean, just based on his look and he's a. Uh, I think he was a former... Was he a football player or was he... I think it was rugby, wasn't it? Rugby, rugby, yes. Rugby player, yeah. Um, so after that, we get uh, a match between me, Yim, and Indy Hartwell. I'm not going to talk about the match because uh, I'm going to be frank. Um, I didn't give a fuck, so I fast-forwarded it. But I saw a thing right before the match where Yim is backstage still getting her tape on, getting her hat on for her entrance. And she says that she barely got back from the hospital. First off, where the fuck is this hospital that you were able to go... Wait for Keith Lee to get um, 
brought into his room and then get back for his match in 20 minutes. Not not a thing. Don't lie it's to me. It's right across the street, like uh, like on that WCW episode where Goldberg went into the jail and it was right across the street, but he couldn't get back for two hours. Like They just nipped across the road to whatever local medical facility was there. And like, to, go back, to, to go back to the... Rich Holland thing, like, I think it's quite a shame they had to have these second chance matches because Dexalons got injured. Because I remember actually watching that triple threat match and like, like, because like each one of them seems to tell their own like story. These triple threats, Cause, like the, the uh, almost call him Jonah Rock, the uh, Bronson Reed one. It seemed like he was the underdog. It was focused on Strong and Gargano, and then he got the upset win. The Priest one, they kept talking about he's the favorite going into this according to himself, and then he wins it. So yeah, he was the favorite. Whereas the Dexter Lewis <laughs> one, you, you, the Dexter Lewis one, you actually watch it back, and you was like, "This entire match is centered around getting this guy over." And actually, from watching that triple threat match, you'd be forgiven for thinking he's going to win this at takeover. And actually, from the way they booked it, it looked like they were setting him up to look strong in this qualifying match to then go on and win it. And if that's the case, you, you feel even more bad for him, given the fact that he is not going to be at takeover because it's more serious than they. And they realised. And uh, something I'm interested in is that they said Finn Balor gets a second chance match, but they haven't told us who his opponent's going to be. Oh, do I have some fucking thoughts on mm-hmm. Finn Balor uh, and who his opponent is? Um, uh, since when did Finn Balor, by the way, go to the Vince Russo school of cutting a promo and starting talking about pushes and like getting the rub, like the Finn Balor rub, like? Finn, and in, in the era of the speaking out movement, we shouldn't wrestlers should not be talking about giving other wrestlers the rub, please. Well, because Jericho deemed himself the demo god, so now they have to start talking about demos. Like I said, my main problem with NXT is that they are so reactionary that they're waiting for other stuff to happen before they f- fucking shoot a promo with somebody. I remember I was watching the promo and I turned to my roommate at the time and I went, uh and my roommate goes, What? And I said, Finn Balor just mentioned the fucking ratings. And my roommate laughed out loud. That's that's what this is all boiling down to. Uh, Mia Yim gets the win over Indy Hartwell. Duh. Um, we then get a video package from Finn Balor, the one we were just talking about. Balor says he is one to politic, but The Office wants him on TV. He calls out Kushida, Cameron Grimes, or the unknown third person, and tell. Oh, do I have thoughts on that? Um, and tells. <laughs> oh, do I have fucking thoughts on that? Um, and tells them that they should enjoy their match tonight because he will take them out next week. Oh, I fucking hope he brings a fucking shotgun to the ring next week. Um, so next up, uh, uh, we see a brief uh, shot of uh, Damian Priest and Bronson Reed getting ready for their match backstage right before we go to commercial. Back from commercial, uh, we get a recap of uh, Pat McAfee's attack. This is where you see blatantly Adam Cole's hands were like not behind his back. Uh, but he was diving over a desk, so let's give him that. Um, we see a tweet from McAfee responding to Cole's call out. Actually, it was Hunter calling out, um, McAfee in, uh, on Cole's side, uh, from earlier in the show saying that he accepts. Then we have, uh, Damien Priest versus Bronson Reed. This match is very good. Very fun. Um, if you haven't watched NXT and you're just listening to this, thank you. Um, but watch, this is one of the things I would definitely say to go and watch, um, story of this match really is that uh, Reed is working on Priest's arm most of the match. Um, Priest is running and hiding from Bronson uh, over and over and over again um, until eventually Bronson Reed gets the win. So um, Bronson Reed looking strong going into the ladder match. Um, 
Did you see anything on this match, or should I just move on? No, I, heard, I knew this match happened. I, I haven't seen it, but it's just it's weird for me to think that is Damien Priest maybe a good guy now? Is following the match with Balor, like he did that thing with Cameron Grimes, where Cameron Grimes is just so annoying that you can't really like him, and it's so, like he suddenly is he in between now? Is he a bad guy? Is he a good guy? He, he was seems. A bad guy he seems like a tweener. Yeah, because like Finn went from bad guy to kind of good guy, and he stood with Priest because Priest was the one attacking him from behind. And then Finn's now a tweener, but then suddenly Priest is a tweener as well. And it's just annoying. With you've got a couple of guys in NXT and like a few in AEW as well. Like, am I meant to like you? Like, cause it's like a, a problem that you think of when, like back in the day when everybody was like, oh, she's a great like. Fans cheer people who are being blatantly arseholes, but like it's just annoying nowadays as it was then. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean they should just start calling this NX Tweener because uh, there's so many people uh, <laughs> who really have very yeah I know hey, um, very like undefined roles for a lot of people. Um, people who are just sort of in the middle of uh, transformation. Um, we got a video package uh, from NXT Women's Champion Io Shirai. Another really good uh, pre-tape promo. Uh, for her match with uh, Dakota Kai. Um, really, really fun. Really good stuff. Um, uh, next up was Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter versus Mercedes Martinez and Aaliyah, the Robert Stone brand. They get the win. Again, this was something I fast-forwarded. I did not have full time to watch this entire show, so I'm just going to skip it. I'm, um, I'm really gl- really glad that the Tony Khan, I mean, uh, Robert Stone brand <laughs> is actually doing well. They're actually winning matches now, <laughs> like, no, I I know it's like a tired thing that oh this is maybe two I can but I, just, I thought I had, I had to sneak that in there. Yeah, I think um, like it's cool that the uh, the Robert Stone brand sort of has like a direction now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see where it goes. I actually have been meaning to go back and and rewatch it. Um, because uh, I think it's setting up for like uh you know Rhea Ripley is gonna is gonna stay involved. Uh, Shotzi Blackheart is part of the equation there. Um, they end up running away from Shotzi and Rhea, uh Ripley. Uh, then we cut to House Gargano, uh, and Candice LeRae is reading a fairy tale to her dog. Uh, this is literally <laughs> what happened. Uh, it's an allegory for her life uh, about how she isn't evil. Gargano is on a ladder changing a light bulb because, get it, they're short. Um, hey, Lorraine, how, how, many, how many Garganos does it take to change a light bulb? Apparently three. Uh, Lorraine, <laughs> Candice LeRae, Gargano, and their dog. Um, Lorraine, uh Tells uh, her dog that the kingdom is doomed, but Gargano says that the kingdom isn't doomed because he will save it. <gasps> Gargano uh, says that there is a lot of talent on the NXT roster, but none of them are as talented as him. And he will beat Ridge Holland next week to get into the North American Championship ladder match at the sexiest takeover of all time. Um, Gargano climbs down the ladder and says that next time he climbs the ladder, it won't be to fix the house. It'll be to fix NXT. Very good promo, though, from Gargano here. Um, this is, uh, again, one of the few standout things from the show that I would say that definitely, definitely should be watched. Um, up next, we're going to find out the opponent for Krishida and Cameron Grimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, before you go into this, like, I was going to say, I really do enjoy these like Garganos like, at their home segments. Like, it's, it's, it's some of the best promo work either of them have done since they signed with, the, with NXT. And just the image of of uh, of Candice reading to her dog, I just look at her and like Candice, you need to get out more. 
we started doing old lady things. It's like with the dog that I'm currently watching for my brother. Whenever my mum talks to the dog just regularly, and I'm like, Mum, you need to get out more. I mean, I say that. I was having almost a full-on conversation with the dog on the way back from the park where I was like, why am I talking to the dog? As if, it, as if she can understand me. They can understand you, okay? They're, they're important members of the family, Scott. <laughs> See, well, for whatever reason, this, this dog like, recognizes the phrase chicken buna. For whatever reason, we just say it, and she immediately swelled towards it, like, huh? I don't think she understands what that word means. She just, no, she just somehow learned to respond to it. Every now and then, if I'm bored, I'll just say it, and she just looks at me like, what? I'm like, oh, nothing. <laughs> um, uh, then back from commercial, we have another edition of Thatch's Thatch Can Wrestling School. Thatcher talks uh, about how he had his match won last week, but needs to, alert, needs to learn to adapt. Uh, next week, uh, Pat McAfee will be live and come face-to-face with Adam Cole. Also, Legato Del Fantasma will take on Brizango and Isaiah Sorev Scott, as we mentioned earlier. We also have a second chance qualifying matches next week where Johnny Gargano will face Ridge Holland and Finn Balor will take on uh, someone from tonight's main event. And we move right swiftly on uh, to oh, also uh, that we're told that WWE.com has an update on Keith Lee's condition. And Lee is quoted as saying at NXT TakeOver, Triple X, Karrion Cross is a dead man. Um in the main event, we have Kushida taking on Cameron Grimes versus the returning Velveteen Dream in a qualifying match for the NXT North American Championship. The things that have come out about the Velveteen Dream over the last couple of months are not good. The fact that he is back on uh, television is not fucking cool, uh, in my opinion. I don't recall there being some sort of thing to come out that says he had been cleared like how Matt Riddle cleared himself of the accusations to WWE. Um, also, I wasn't aware that somebody could do a drop, like a dead-on impression of Velveteen Dream in some of these uh, things that have come out about him, and the fact that some of them are screenshots where he um, allegedly was grooming young talents and younger people and whatnot. So I'm going to try and uh, restrain myself from being as pissed off as I am about it. Um, I think him being on television is a joke. Like, listen, if it comes out that he cleared himself to the company and the company figured out that uh, it was not exactly what it looked like or what have you, I will be the first person to eat the crow and apologize for it. But as it stands right now, Velveteen Dream is a disgusting human being and WWE should be fucking ashamed of themselves. That aside, Kushida, Cameron Grimes, and Velveteen Dream in a qualifying match for the NXT, champion, NXT North American Championship ladder match at uh, um, TakeOver 30. Uh, Grimes immediately goes after Dream. Uh, this again, though, uh, despite what I just said 30 seconds ago, this match is actually very, 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 very good. And if even if it was just uh, Kushida versus Cameron Grimes, uh, that would be enough for me because they all three of these guys uh, went in there and they killed it. Um, yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, it's just just pisses me off so much. Um, so uh, Dream is able to manipulate Kushida into Grimes. Dream and Kushida uh, form a momentary alliance to take Grimes out. Grimes pulls Dream back out of the ring, and Dream takes down Grimes, then hits a springboard dive back onto Kushida, pinning him for two. Um, they fight until they get to a commercial break. Back from commercial, um, 
Kushida is taking out Grimes and Dream. Kushida stalks them both and goes for a double DDT on both men, but they catch him and block it, and Kushida still takes down both men. Dream catches uh, Kushida for a Dream Valley driver, but Kushida escapes it. Dream sends Grimes over the top rope, uh, and Dream hits a dive from the top rope. I am skipping around just so I don't have to read nine paragraphs worth of this match. If you want to watch it, watch it. Um, Dream grabs Grimes' leg after a while and pulls him out of the ring. They brawl on the outside until uh, Kushida hits a dive onto both men from the top rope. Really, he I think he just hits Dream, and uh, Grimes doesn't get all of the hit. Uh, it's actually pretty cool storytelling that um, uh, factors into the match. Kushida hits a diving armbar onto Grimes from the top rope. That's also very cool. Uh, Dream dives uh, from the top rope onto Kushida and Grimes. Kushida lets go of Grimes, locking him in his arm lock on Dream. Dream escapes and gets Kushida set up for the Dream Valley driver, but Kushida wriggles into uh, his hoverboard lock. This whole ending uh, sequence is actually very, very good. Um, I can't say enough good things about this match other than the third person who is in it. Um, While he has the hoverboard lock in, Cameron Grimes hits the cave-in on Kushida, and Grimes rolls Dream out of the ring and pins Kushida for the three. The winner going to the uh, ladder match for the North American title is Cameron Grimes. And just seeing him next to the title, uh, they show a couple of uh, shots of him uh, at the base of the ramp, sort of next to the title and stuff. I think Cameron Grimes is my uh, my uh, my pick so far going into the ladder match. I think it's uh, I think Cameron Grimes has done some really great things, and I hope that he wins that ladder match. Uh Cameron Grimes goes uh, to the back and Velveteen Dream gets back in the ring. Dream stands over Kushida and slaps him a bunch of times before uh, and then turning he turns heel, which great because he is. Dream runs around the ring, pulling away the barricade uh, from the outside. Dream gets back in the ring and attacks Kushida again, sending him out of the ring. Dream goes to the top rope and poses when he gets off the rope and gets back into the ring. Uh, Finn Balor is suddenly standing behind him in the ring. Balor and Dream stare at each other as Balor points his signature finger guns at Dream as we fade to black on NXT. So next week it is uh, the demon, not the demon Finn Balor, but I'm going to call him the demon anyway for the sake of this joke. The demon Finn Balor taking on the monster that is Velveteen Dream. Um, definitely a very good match. I know you're watching a lot of wrestling at the moment, Scott, but uh, it might be worth watching. Uh, yeah. Just those few segments that I said to watch. I've seen bits and pieces of the, the main event, like, like, Allegations aside, Velveteen Green versus Kushida versus Cameron Grimes sounds like a match you want to watch. And the thing with this triple threat match is that every one of them seems good and everyone seems like a combination that you wouldn't have thought of, but you feel like you have to see like in some way. And most of them have had the right kind of winner, I think. Like Cameron Grimes is quite annoying as a heel, so like you're almost rooting that he doesn't win. But actually, if Dexter Lumis isn't going to win, then because he's out of it, then maybe a good second choice probably would be Cameron Grimes because it looks like the, the guys who aren't the obvious choice, except unless you ask Damian Pace where he keeps calling himself the favourite, it does seem like they're going with the non-obvious choices because like Keith Lee's whole thing is the, I'm vacating this so other people will have an opportunity. And uh, the only that difference I would make from these triple threat matches is that I would have had only Lorcan when, when that has won instead of Damian Pace because I just because Tom Phillips mentioned how fun it would be if he only Lorcan in a ladder match and then we didn't get it. So I feel like I've kind of robbed in a way. And I'm going to kind of take this, this kind of Ross and Codaholic you said at first, but I think it, it's the best thing I can say about the dream is that uh, if he's been put on TV because 
like he's been there's been an investigation and he's been cleared or at least they've looked into it, like like they did with Matt Riddle because like you think like you like to think that they wouldn't put people on TV without a full investigation, but like at least if they have done an investigation, at least say it because the longer you don't make a statement about Dream and everything that's happened, the longer people are going to criticise decision to have him, especially if he's going to be in a future spot, if he's going to be revealed as the person that fights Finn Balor and that other second chance match, and especially if he goes on to win, then you're going to get a shitstorm of bad press that you really don't need right now. Because, like, I, I, was, I did think it was weird that they did have this whole, all the mystery third man, and they got so many people they could just say it was. And I don't think anybody really, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody was even saying it was going to be Dream. But the fact that he's another mystery for Finn makes you think it's going to be Finn. And it's annoying that they can't have to be all the people who didn't get pinned in their matches, which means we don't get another Finn Balor-Timothy Thatcher match. Because that's, that's what I want, rather than Finn versus Dream. Because I think the only reason they're doing Finn versus Dream is they were, gonna, they were teasing that as a match. And then Finn got taken out so he could start his whole thing with Damian Priest. So, like, like just at least for me, the least that we can do is say that they've looked into the situation with Dream. Because, like, they've got a history here. Because, like, Jerry Lawler, like, yeah, he was found not guilty, but doesn't entirely prove he was innocent. You know, and we don't need to go into the whole Jimmy Snicker thing, but, like, there's the rumours. They talked about it in Dark Side of the Ring, the briefcase and everything. So, if they had, it wouldn't be shock me entirely. If it turns out Debbie didn't really look into it at all and just waited for a while before bringing Dream back, thinking that maybe it'd blown over, and it, it doesn't—I don't like to say that, but like yeah. I said, the, the idea of Debbie fucking with you and the mistrust that it's, it's gained from a lot of its fans. Yeah, because, like, I guess, uh, like to agree with you, I guess because he was in a car accident. I think uh, it's four, yeah, four weeks ago. I heard that. So to agree with you, I guess from his perspective, I guess that was maybe the thing that maybe WWE was thinking, oh, people will just forget about this other shit because I don't think anything has come of the allegations since the allegations were put out. But and you want to believe that WWE would not and NXT and Triple H and all the people who were in charge would not want. I mean, let's look at it this way. Triple H has three daughters. I doubt he's going to want to let somebody on TV who is accused of the things Dream is uh, accused of allegedly doing. Um, but I mean, fuck, man. Like, yeah, because like he, he previously said before China got in, oh, I don't want Jane in the whole thing because one of my daughters look up her name. So you're, you don't want that, but you're happy if your daughter's Dream to NXT and someone who may or may not have done the things that Dream is accused of doing. Like, it's a weird double standard that Debrie has at times. Yeah. And like you said, like, it is, we always give NXT credit over the years because it's more of a Triple H thing and it has a better track record than the main roster. But then, like, you don't like to think that Triple H would do something like this. But then again, you probably think Vince has probably got a lot more involved, especially since the USA move and the going head-to-head with, with AEW. So, and because I... Well, I don't know. Really, actually, I really don't really know what Vince's opinions of the Dream are, but I like to think that Vince... Uh, sorry, Triple H definitely thinks highly of him, given how many opportunities he's gotten. Yeah. 
for sure. Um, all right, uh, moving over to AEW Dynamite from uh, this past this past Wednesday. A uh, little programming note: uh, AEW Dynamite will be preempted due to the NBA and um, will be on on Saturday, the twenty second which I believe is going to start at 6 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time, which starts an hour before TakeOver. So, ooh. I was going to say, like, oh, we preempted. We have to hang another day. Mm, I don't think anything's going on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday's totally free. Like, nobody else, there's nothing else that our fans will want to watch. Yeah, no way. Not yeah, at all. Definitely not. Definitely not. The opening contest of uh, AEW Dynamite was the Young Bucks versus Dark Order. Dark Order comes out and attacks the Young Bucks. Uh, this match is fine. Uh, it's very Young Bucksy, um, which <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Uh, but I remember being at the end of the match. Um, I remember being at the end of the match and just going like, "Oh, of course the Young Bucks won." You know, like they like why bother building up. Uh, Dark Order at all when they have to fight the Young Bucks and the Young Bucks are going to beat them. Um, it's uh, a well-wrestled match, don't get me wrong, but um, I don't know. It's fine. So, I mean, if you want to skip this, skip it. If not, cool. Uh, the the uh, the finish to this match, though, is Dark Order attempt their finishing move, the Fatality, but Nick rolls up Uno and scores the pinfall while Stu <laughs> pretends he can't get to his feet. I'm re- <laughs> It was a little ill-timed. Because Stu is doing his 450, but he lands on his feet and rolls a little too far. But then he has to wait like an extra second so he doesn't actually break the pinfall up. Uh, and uh, as noted here, he has to pretend like he can't get to his feet. So, of course, the Young Bucks win. Cause that's the thing with the Dark Order. Because, like, Evil, you know, and Sigurdsson worked up to the number one in the rankings before the pandemic. And then they had to pin them off TV and then work their way back up again. They got that title show, and then you got Brody Lee coming in. Like Dark Order has been actually decent since he came in, but then he failed against Moxley, and then now they're teasing him getting a TNT title opportunity. And then you've got like yeah, they're recruiting people, but these guys aren't really winning all that much. Like one or two of them have won matches on Dark. Then like you've got Cody and Mark Cardona defeating a uh, John Silva and Alex Reynolds. Like that's the weird thing with the Dark Order, and that they're actually booked storyline-wise as an actual faction is the way they probably should be, just that their win-loss record doesn't back up probably back up the good booking they've been getting. Because I think with one or two more wins they could be a lot better. Because like, yeah, like I actually could see Broly winning the TNT title. But then again, I don't, I'm not overall convinced, given how quickly he was thrust into a world title program, and then he lost yeah, I mean, it, they they did that with Archer. They've done it with uh, Brody Lee, as you said. Um, and it sort of seems like what they're doing with the Dark Order is the the whole Dark Order thing is like stop being a loser and join the Dark Order. Right? And then lose again. And then you join the Dark Order, and then you just lose in bigger numbers. Like, but at least you've got some friends to stand on the stage and watch you. Like, sorry, you mentioned Archer there. This annoys me here, right? Archer's lost, he mentioned he's lost one match. And that was against Cody. So he's otherwise he's been dominant other than that one thing, but that's made him even more violent. And now, like, people talk about these rankings not making sense, and this is one of the reasons why Archer's been, like, third or second in the rankings for weeks now. He's not gotten another shot at Cody. He's not even talked about as getting a shot with Moxley. And, like, and yet, Scorpio Sky, who's 
actually had a decent win all three. He's one of the few people whose overall record is over 20 wins. And he's been winning dark week after week and then not doing anything else until he finally says, look, I'm sick of waiting. I want a TNT title shot. And he got it. And yet I don't think he was even in the top five rankings. So like, like we talked about it in the Double and Nothing review, like they need to work out a proper ranking system for both the singles belts. Because just doing one ranking system isn't working, especially if Cody's randomly giving opportunities to guys from outside of AEW. So, like, the rankings doesn't overall affect the TNT belt. So, like, yeah, you got to say, like, why does it not affect that? Then, and it affects the other ones, because, like, why should they even be allowed to do open challenges if it has to depend on your win-loss record if you get a title shot in the first place? Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, either stick to it or don't. I know that originally the, the rankings was, uh, like, a good idea, but uh, they have apparently sort of lost the plot on how to do this the right way because it just i mean uh last week moxley faced the number five ranked darby allen why did that happen why didn't he fight the number one ranked person mm-hmm. you know um but i mean we can shit on the, the ranking system all we want but uh wardlow is standing outside of mjf's office and he knocks on the door mjf comes out and uh he gets uh he has a gum guy so uh mm-hmm. the gum guy puts the gum in his mouth and he goes mm, oh it's delicious this week, but then he immediately turns because uh, uh, his female staffer turns to say something to him and he screams at her. He's like, Lila, how many times have I told you speak when spoken to and then starts to walk down the corridor. And just as what happened to him when he was mm-hmm. walking Samoa Joe down the court, I'm sure everybody has seen this by now. The yeah. comparison. He pushes the other guy into the wall. Uh, fantastic shit. Uh, we it. see. We see Kenny Omega and Adam Page uh, sitting backstage, and they are asked who the best tag team of all time is. Omega quickly says the Young Bucks. Page looks surprised. Page says that uh, he was going to say it was them, and uh, Kenny says they're just two singles guys and brushes it off, then hilariously calls the Bucks the gods of tag team wrestling. So the elitists are now being the elitists even more, and it looks like we might be getting Page joining FTR, or I don't know what's going to happen with that, but um, uh, definitely dissension is within the ranks of the elite and the elitists. So, so, so one half of the tag team champions not only doesn't believe that he and his partner are the best tag team in the world, but still thinks of them as just two singles guys. Why are you guys? Why have you guys been tag champs for so long? If you, if one of you does even still doesn't think yourself as a tag wrestler, because I think that's kind of a backhand to like the tag division as a whole. And it's just my opinion, just like it just doesn't seem like some one of your tag team champions should be saying. And given how frequently they've been defending the belts, I really think these two should have actually already lost the belts by now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they've been... See, I, I was having this conversation the other day where I'm sick. I'm kind of sick of, like, all of these titles across a lot of different promotions where, like, somebody's holding the title for 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 days... And it's just like, we've had enough. I know that you don't want to hot shot titles all the time, but I think every once in a while, having a title bounce around sort of makes it a little important. Like it could happen, like something could happen at any point, you know? Mm-hmm. And where you have like NXT, uh, Adam Cole was champion for 400 plus days. Uh, Keith Lee held the North American title for like 100 days or something like that. I'm not against long reigns. I think that it works. Um, but somebody has to lose at some point. Otherwise, what is the rest of, of their particular divisions even doing anymore? 
you know, yeah. um, especially when you get a leaderboard where like you, somebody will sit at number one for like two months just to lose to the champions again. Uh, go go ahead though. You were going to say something. So, yeah, and like we, I like like some of the matches they've had like with mentioned best friends, pirate party, like uh, natural nightmares, Jurassic Express recently got a, a title shot. And yeah, nothing wrong with being fighting champions, but like you've got a, a, quite a big division. The two guys, your two best options to take the belts off of them, being Young Bucks or FTR, are probably going to finally fight each other at, at all out. So like you have to look at the division, you're like who are Kenny and Kenny and Hangman actually going to face at all out? Because like it's in like three weeks time, and I don't, I think you've already rushed through all your potential challenges. I would have held off the Jurassic Express match. I had that match all out, and honestly, I would have put the belts on Jurassic Express. Cause other than best friends, who like probably again should have won, given that they're most organically over, and they actually naturally the team that best utilised actually naturally climbing their ranks and getting to number one. That uh, Jurassic Express are the other best babyface team outside of the whole elite thing. Because like Young Bucks, FTR thing is going to go on for for a while. And then eventually one of them, one of the teams is going to face up with the champions and win the titles. And then the other team's going to come back around saying, well, you should face us for those belts. So, like, at least have some strong champions in the meantime. Randomly, one of the only teams that hasn't got an opportunity because they haven't been on TV a lot. And I think they're actually the most underrated team is Jack Evans and Helico. I think they're so underrated in AEW. And, like, I think... I'd. This is one of the few options I see left that you can give a title opportunity to. And yet, even if you do that, people are not going to take them seriously because they haven't appeared for ages. And, like, they haven't appeared for ages. And, like, they've went through every other team. So basically, it's like, oh, who have we got left? I got these two. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and I think part of my page around Helco is I've actually seen them live twice. At ICW, because like ICW put Shug's House Party Night 2 on the network from Shug's House 35, and it's annoying they didn't put part 1 on, because Night 1 features Angelico versus Mickey Whiplash, and also Mickey Whiplash got caught up in the whole speaking thing, but honestly, I, 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 I'm, ashamed, I'm sad that they didn't put that Night 1 up, because Angelico, uh, Angelico thought it was a high flyer, and Mickey Whiplash was thought of for the few months before as a deathmatch guy, because that's what he'd been focusing on. But they two went out and put on a really good technical match, and it may be one of the best technical matches I've watched live. Like so, like I'm kind of I'm kind of biased in my opinion of Van Helico and how he's being used in AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even Jack Evans uh, had that singles match on. I think it was Dark, or it might have been Dynamite from a bunch of months back when oh, yeah. uh, Omega had the uh, AAA Mega Championship. Mm-hmm. Um and that match was fucking awesome. Jack Evans flies from the heavens and he is a fantastic wrestler. And I think that they really need to start putting the title on not necessarily main event guys. Like you have a lot of teams and it's good that you know you have tag team appreciation night and you have all of these other like tag centric sort of things going on, but then you keep the belts on people for two, three hundred days, and it's just sort of like, well, what the fuck else are we going to do? Um, like, like SCU, I forgot about them, like Daniels and his area, oh, we're in there focusing on the tag scene again, like, just us doing while Scorpio focused on singles, but like, as I said at uh, Fighter Fest, or Fighter for the Fall and whatever it was, we covered, like, 
yeah, but you've done nothing with them. You've pushed them to dark, whereas Trevor Tigers keeps getting wins with jobbers until you as a CAW. Here, I've got one of the best win records. Give me a fucking title shot. While Kazarian Daniels do very little on dark, when you know that they can be one of the best tied teams out there. So, like, why aren't you positioning Daniels and Kazarian as a team to fight Kenny and Hangman? Because, like, people need to be reminded how good Kazarian and Daniels are together. Because, like, I remember 2012, 2013, one of the only reasons I was watching TNA at the time was because of those two. Yeah, I mean, they've been one of the best tag teams in the world for at least a decade. And it's... um kind of crazy it's kind of crazy but hopefully things start to change uh after all out um but uh mjf is now in the ring for another campaign speech he starts to talk but uh, immediately uh reminds his female handler who is nina not lila i don't remember why i said lila but he (laughs) he reminds uh, nina to smile um and then hands off the floor to nina so she can show the quote polling numbers where he is beating Moxley in a landslide, negative 1,000 to 500. Uh, he <laughs> says, yeah, it's great. It's really fantastic. This this is one of the biggest things that I will, I am going to focus on here just because this is another fantastic MJF promo. Um, and then, uh, uh, lost my place. Uh, he says that there are more important things to talk about the numbers because today is the day John Moxley's leadership dies. MJF, says he is here and he will always be week after week, and that's a campaign promise. He says that he will take responsibility for John's absence because he is afraid of him, Uh, which didn't make a whole lot of sense because right before they went to commercial, they showed a graphic saying that John Moxley will appear live, and uh, uh, MJF immediately started his promo by saying, like, I have have the unfortunate news to tell you that your champion isn't here tonight or something. Uh, So that kind of didn't mesh uh entirely but you know it doesn't take away from exactly how good this promo was um yeah he says uh mjf says moxley isn't used to dealing with somebody like him someone who will look up at the lights for him each week he mjf then lies down in the middle of this is so cool because they have that camera that's on the, the roof of daly's place so mjf lies down in the middle of the ring and they have this really cool shot of mjf just cutting a promo to the ceiling uh, that they use. Uh, he, li- he lies on the middle of the ring and asks John if he's happy now. Uh, he says that he didn't uh, start this to have a beef with John. He started it because AEW needs leadership. MJF says Moxley isn't a leader. He's a dog chasing cars. But he's caught the best car on the earth and now he's lost. So he should fork over the keys to a real man. Someone who's better than him. And why wait till September? Because everyone knows that he's better. That they deserve better. Excuse me. Uh, Moxley's music hits and um MJF directs his handlers to the crowd area to try and intercept Moxley, which is uh, actually incredibly uh, an intelligent thing that MJF decided to do because he's like, that's where that's where he comes from. Go up to the go up to the vom, go up to the vom. Where, of course, the 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 three the th- uh, two of the three idiots on commentary have to be like, what's a vom? I've never heard of the vom. It's because they're called vomitoriums. You uncultured fucking swine. Um, uh, so Moxley. Um, Moxley then, uh, blah, 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 blah. I keep losing my place to say things because <laughs> I'm not used to reading uh, as much. Uh, so to intercept Moxley, but the, tonight John comes out through the entranceway and gets in the ring behind MJF to attack him. MJF is thrown into his podium, which the, the hit that he took looks great. Uh, then hit with an elevated paradigm shift, which MJF decided to start a change.org uh, 
um, campaign to ban the paradigm shift the day after he got paradigm shifted, which is fucking great. Um, I did not sign it because I like the double arm DDT. I think it's fine. Um, MJF uh, shoves the podium over and goes back to grab a microphone where we see um, Tony Khan make another appearance on uh, Dynamite, uh, looking surprised as ever. Um, Moxley says that they're not even, not by a long shot, uh, not after what MJF almost cost him last week, uh, that they won't uh, be even until he teaches him a painful lesson in humility at All Out, and he promises it will be a bitter pill to swallow. MJF is lying in the ring, holding his neck, almost crying. Uh, Again, this this segment is really great, really fucking fantastic stuff. Um, If you haven't seen this yet at all, please go check this out. Us. Uh, Scott, how much of this did you did you check out? Oh, this is this is one of the seconds I did see like the full thing. I just seen like the thumbnail of, of MJF lying on the floor, and so I had to, I had to watch it. And I think it makes both of them look quite intelligent because like he's got all these people around him, not just Wardlow, but he's got these other security around him. And like you said, he sends them up into the crowd. But Moxley knows that like he wants to get his hands on MJF to shut him up, but he knows that if these guys see him coming, he'll never get to him. So he purposely comes through the other way. Because he knows that's not what they'll expect, so it's kind of actually makes them both look smart for once. And I'm just really happy that that definitely I think it has been confirmed that we're going to get this all out. Because I've been saying for quite a while, I'm pretty sure other people have been saying that it has to be MJF versus Moxley, and that's how Moxley should lose the belt. Because MJF, I think we talk about long reigns and that. I do think a long reign does seem suited for MJF as his character. Because he won't wrestle every week, but he will be there to cut promos most weeks, whether pre-taped or in the ring. And like, because like Edo doesn't seem like doesn't like to do short reigns from the looks of it. And like NJF, I think is the perfect character to have a long reign with, so he can basically get like basically cut this for all it's worth before eventually you have him drop it to somebody, and actually see like a Darby Allen or someone like that depending on how they book it, taking a belt from him. Because also, his old character is like, I feel like I'm better than everybody. But if you have someone like Darby Allen or that, or somebody from the undercard that you've built up to finally take the belt from him, you can tell a really good story there. And again, it'll be, it won't be the exact same fucking match for Moxley that he's had with Brian Cage, that he had with Hager, that he had with Brody Lee. I mean, Darby Allen was a different type of opponent. Like that's why I said, I want different opponents for Moxley. I think him actually losing the belt would actually be better for him. Yeah, a hundred percent. As they've always said, money is in the chase. Yeah, um, like this, this whole run between full gear when he was coming out and squashing people up until he started chasing the inner circle and going through each one of them. I think that's one of his best best two months that he had. He's had you know with that two month period, and like not to say he's not had good moments as champion. Like I said, he had. Match with Darby Allen, uh, but like again, it's not as much fun as chasing it. And like we saw, that was a problem with that with him when he was Dean Ambrose. But I don't think that's just an exclusively a Dean Ambrose problem. I've noticed that it's not as bad as John Moxley, but like the Brody Lee match did not help, and also the fact that he had to be taken off TV for two weeks uh, in the midst of his feud with Brian Cage didn't help that either. Yeah, absolutely. It just ended up being a start and stop sort of thing. Um, None of us thought he was going to win in the first place. 
Yeah, I mean, if anybody believed Brian Cage or Brody Lee were going to beat Moxley for the title, then they need to have their head examined. Um, someone else who had to have their head examined was Matt Hardy. Um, after what happened, da- I know, I know, I'm damn good at it sometimes, aren't I? Uh, we, <laughs> um, oh, we we see a replay of Sammy Guevara uh, after what he did uh, last week, throwing the chair and hitting the. Uh, I think it was a six thirty that he hit him with off the stage to the table, and then we see Hardy backstage for an interview with um, I think it was Alex Marvez, um, and he is asked about the attack. Matt says he doesn't die. Uh, and since last week, he's been seeing red um, and he will continue to see red until next AEW Dynamite when he beats Sammy stupid. However, he will wait around tonight until he squashes Sammy like an ant speaking a little like Damascus, which uh, this is actually really cool. You see the difference between um, the speech patterns and uh, Matthew Hardy turning into the broken Matt Hardy and all the other stuff uh, that uh, plays into that. So it was actually a really good promo. A guy walks past kind of dressed like Sammy and Matt rushes him throwing his head into a shutter um, and uh, uh, over and over and over again until referees pull him off. Uh, Matt Hardy is definitely starting to lose it. The guy he beat up was also wearing a referee shirt under his jacket. So he just sort of beat up a random referee, uh, which leads us into the TNT championship match. Cody with Arn Anderson and Brandy Rhodes uh, taking on Scorpio sky. Um, Cody comes out with the entire nightmare family and is finally and is finally finished TNT Championship. Legend Mike Kyoto is the referee for this match, which I got a genuine pop for. I was like, "Oh shit, there's my man's. I love him." Um, and it makes total sense. We see a little later on. Um, Jericho says that he helped Kyoto keep his job in the past, and it's obvious that Jericho is probably the reason why Kyoto is here tonight. Um, hopefully, he sticks around. I love I love uh, Mike Kyoto a whole bunch. I think he's probably the best referee. Uh, in the business, no offense to Nick Shin. Um, what do you think of the new uh, TNT Championship? By the way, that now that it's finished, I like the I like that there's more detail to it. You know, I have seen Mitch reviews it, but like I like built with a bit more detail, not just a random plate with some letters or a random like symbol just thrown on there. Just like a bit of detail to it. And I like that it's finally got it, and like the side plates look better. Like we had the gold that gold around like the Ted Turner house. I mean, I have seen some mixed ones. Like I've seen someone on Facebook basically say. This looks like something a kid would design in you know, your custom now, you custom make your own belt section of one of the 2K games, but you not know, everyone's entitled to their like, opinion. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just agreeing with you, yeah. yeah I did like seeing uh, Mike Kyoto there. Like, I think he's one of the best refs I think ever. Like, and it was kind of shitty how he got like, let go. And... Let's go back to the Matt Hardy thing. I do like the unpredictability of Matt Hardy, like not knowing what version you're gonna get. Because you got Damascus, you got regular Matt Hardy. We even got version one back at Stadium Stampede, and he keeps teasing this new version of Matt Hardy that no one's ever seen before. But I think with the pandemic and that, and then not being able to film those things that they planned on doing at the compound, he hasn't been able to show that yet. And Matt is not really shy from in an interview from showing his frustration of like. Obviously, the fact that the pandemic has kind of halted what they had planned for him. Hopefully, the Sammy Guevara feud actually helps, like, help them fully utilize Matt Hardy to his potential rather than accompanying private party. And uh, I like that Scorpio Sky decides, I'm going to come out myself. Like, I don't need SCU. And then here comes Cody with his fucking entourage of, like, 20 odd people, however many are in that bloody nightmare family. Surprised Stephen Amell and Buddy Glacier weren't there as well. 
Well, they're stuck in Canada because Canada actually got this whole thing right, and we did not. Um, so uh, Scorpio Sky and Cody, uh, they go uh, long enough. I think uh, this match didn't overstay its welcome. It was pretty good. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, um, they, uh, If you watch the Fight TV version of this show, uh, there are a few times where you can actually hear them counting back in and like prepping the the audio the audience rather for um them coming back from commercial it's actually really funny um (laughs) there's a segment coming up later on that i'll go into uh a little bit of detail on with sammy Guevara um during the commercial uh but yeah this match goes back and forth a little bit uh scorpius guy gets to kick out of a crossroads um he gets a couple near falls but cody ends up with the win after hitting the crossroads again thank god he didn't fucking beat uh, i said to my roommate at the time, I said, I swear to God, if he beats one more fucking person with the figure four, I'm going to shit my pants in anger. Just because, like, ugh, annoying. I don't why like the he, figure four. Why is he using the figure four? Like, he constantly talks about his dad all the time and all that. Like, And Ric Flair was one of his dad's biggest rivals. Why is he using his dad's rival's finisher as a key, a signature move? Like, because, honestly, few people, unlike if they're not named Flair, like, don't do the figure four as well. I don't know why so many people feel like they need, like, oh, I'm going to try the figure four. Yeah, I just hate that he's been beating. The only time it made sense was when he was wrestling Mark Quinn for the TNT Championship and he worked over the ankle, which was an injury from the week before that and everything. I think that that's the only time it really worked. Uh, He beat Eddie Kingston with it, too, which I thought was bullshit. Um, Like, you should have just you should have beat him with a crossroads into the tax or something. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. After the match, though, Brody Lee appears on the screen with the uh, old TNT Championship. Um, and he asks if Cody thought his transgressions would be forgotten. The elite have been dispatched and Cody will put some respect on his name. Uh, he says that he will take that nice piece of gold from Cody and give him the old be- the old belt back as a consolation. Quote, TikTok, time's up. Hashtag. Um, private party then appear. On the screen, uh, they say that uh, their favorite tag team of all time is the Hardy Boys. They uh, they say their look, their moves, and their entrance made them the greatest tag team of all time. Commercial break. Um, we see... Um, sorry, the AEW Tag Team Championship matches up next. The Hangman Adam Page uh, like nameplate for this week said needs to borrow money for a lawnmower, which, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, love the love that they're keeping that joke going. Um, we have Kenny Omega and Hangman Page versus Jurassic Express. This match is just as good as you think it is. Um, you know, we see Luchasaurus finally come in on the hot tag a little late, for my opinion, but you know that's just me. Uh, beating both the champions down, Saurus flips uh, uh, under both of them, kicks Omega, then choke slams Hangman, followed by a moonsault for a near fall. Uh, we see Frankie Kazarian in the crowd, who I have to keep being reminded that it's Frankie Kazarian because he's got hair now and he looks like a totally different person um you think uh, honestly you think, like i for, i forget that it's him go on thank you there and like especially when his hair is like kind of short or like where he's got the kind of shooting head i look at thank you there and like randy orton needed a stunt double there. <laughs> he just has that look he does he does um yeah uh, jungle boy um uh, in jungle boy and luchasaurus put up a good fight um Omega ends up snapdragging Mar- Marco Stun at one point. Um, you know, shenanigans aplenty. This match goes, again, long enough. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, Kenny, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page get the win using their buckshot V-trigger combination. I think they call that the last call, if I'm remembering correctly, because they forget to call it. 
Um, they get the win. Um, did you see any of this match? Yeah, I saw a little bit. Like I said, I try to see about like the actual matches. Cause, like usually when you're watching stuff on YouTube, it's, it's easier to watch like the backstage things or like the promos because like they better like capture the full segment rather than just like bits and pieces when they do the matches. I have to say, I think one of the best hot tags in AEW probably is Luchasaurus. Yeah, he's just, 100%. When you come in, you keep forgetting until he gets all tagged just how agile, agile he is for a guy his size. And like it's just always fun to see like the kicks and that, and then just to you just bust out a, a backflip just because he can. <laughs> I think that was fun. Uh, so go back to the bit before, by the way, the Brody Lee thing. Actually, I'm looking forward to that match with Cody. Because like, I know him as Luke Harper, he probably faced Cody in a bunch of like, tag matches back in the day. But I don't think they really got a proper singles match. And I actually think, given like the streak of like really good matches that Cody's been having, I actually think that could be like the, the match of the night, potentially. At All Out, if that's where it's going to happen, where I assume it would be. Uh, but, it's the next It's the next Dynamite on Saturday um, the 22nd. Like I said, I think even then, like I could actually see them putting a bit on Lee, because like like a big title change like that, right before what's so close to all out. I think given if they are gonna be going head to head in the second hour with a uh, NXT, then I think that's the kind of thing they could need to like combat with like a takeover because it's like, not just as if they're going up against an, an episode of NXT, it's like an actual takeover. So like it'd be the big one they need to actually stay competitive on that night. Uh, Santana and Ortiz are, are next up. They cut a promo backstage uh, saying that they don't care how best friends got home last week. They have their suitcases in hand and they take them into the showers and pour bleach on them. Uh, then they turn the showers on. They say they won't apologize to um, Trent's mother for destroying her vehicle. Uh, we then cut back to the ring after a commercial break. Uh, and Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard are oh. with the Young Bucks, FTR, and the Rock and Roll Express. Um, the Bucks say that everyone is loving Tag Team Appreciation Night. Cheap pop. Um, <laughs> Matt says that the Rock and Roll Express are the original Young Bucks. Uh, their style inspired the likes of Sean and Marty. Might want to keep that name under the rug. Uh, Matt and Jeff and them. Uh, he thanks them uh, and says that they wouldn't be here without them, which I think is a fair comment. Dax then says he is the biggest, the biggest mark for Arn and Tully and the Rock and Roll Express. He says because of them, they get to make a living in the best sport in the world. For seven years, he's gotten to travel the world with his best friend. Uh, and it's because of them. Uh, it's all because of them. Most importantly, he has a beautiful wife and daughter at home, and he gets to give them the life he never had because of guys like them. Um, Robert says that he never misses AEW. He watches every week, and he loves it. And he says he hasn't seen so much chemistry between two guys FTR since Tully and Arn. Uh, as for the Bucks, they've dominated for 15 years and brought tag team wrestling back. Uh, they are the best of their generation. Arn Anderson says he knows Tully hasn't been around much and he isn't someone who, uh, well, I guess they're missing a word here. It just says blows some, but I guess blows some smoke. Um, he speaks the truth and. The Bucks have taken tag team wrestling to a different stratosphere and changed the game. Arn says that Ricky and Robert have been doing all, uh, doing it for a century, and changed uh, tag team wrestling into a different stratosphere and changed the game. Arn says um, that they are the best of all time, uh, but the best today is FTR. Um, 
there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance for 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 tag team appreciation night. All very good and whatnot until um, there's a little bit of a, a scuffle um, because Arn goes to leave the ring because uh, he sees uh, Sean Spears coming out. Um, Tully has a bit of a uh, you know Tully has a bit of a. a like like a like he loses his shit a little bit. Says Tom Brady is the best quarterback because he has the rings, and you can talk about being the bat the baddest or the best in the world. But neither of these teams are champions. So let's keep patting ourselves on the back and pretending that we're all great. Tully turns to Arn and says he's had beef with him for a year now, and he doesn't understand the nightmare ties. Uh, as I said, Sean Spears comes out. Arn walks off, and while the Rock and Roll Express have their backs turned, the uh, FTR end up hitting the Rock and Roll Express with uh, the brace that was on Dax's leg and spike pile drive uh, the uh, the Rock and Roll Express. So it appears that the that FTR are now straight up heels. Uh, the Bucks run back down, as does Page and Omega, but FTR walk away. Um, FTR and uh, Page share a couple of looks, who, of course, has a drink in hand, but he also seems perplexed at why they would do that. Scott uh, what did you think of uh, this segment, if you've seen any of it? Yeah, I, well, I think this is a big talking point, I think, coming out of this. Obviously, non-right wrestling, like actual segment, I think it's the one most people are talking about. Cause I think it's about time FTR did, like, officially become, like, heels. Like, come on. The Young Bucks helped co-found this company. Of course, FTR were going to be the heels. Like, storyline-wise, I mean, I think, like, it's not a straight-up heel v face match because, like, this guy is one that divides like opinion online, like who's better, FTR or the Bucks. And like basically, it's a case of yeah, Broken Bucks best. They the uh, closest to their style probably nowadays is the Young Bucks and FTR. Everyone's been making their brain process comparisons for years. So basically, it's like basically a looper situation in the ring where you've seen like the older versions of themselves, basically. And like it just bluntly saying like yeah, of course Rick and Roll are going to say yeah the Young Bucks are the best, and of course Arn and are going to say that. FTR the best, and I think, like I said, eventually this feud is going to involve the tag belts in some way, and I think that's why they included the idea of, like, you will see the best, like, well, why are neither of you the tag team champions? And I agree, like, why are neither of these teams the tag team champions? Why are Kenny and Hangman the two singles guys still the tag champs? Like, you mentioned Santana Ortiz a minute ago. How many tag team title opportunities have Santana Ortiz gotten in AEW? Because I can't think of any. I think, like, one, maybe? Again, fucking SCU, Hybrid 2, Proud and Powerful. There's your options for fucking all out. Like, yeah, I don't know. This is an issue that was bothering me until I actually brought it up on this podcast. So I really should stop with these kind of things because I get riled up with things that I really shouldn't be. Yeah, but I mean, we're all trapped inside, so we got to have something to occupy our time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, all props to the uh, to the Rock and Roll Express um, just for you know taking the spike pile drivers and the bumps there because as we know, uh, Rock and Roll Express is still out there doing their thing uh, for about forty years. So good on them. Uh, Mike Kyoto is then interviewed backstage, but before he can speak, Chris Jericho walks up and interrupts. This is uh, sort of what I alluded to earlier. Um, Jer- uh, Jericho says he saved Kyoto's job eighteen years ago, and that's why he wants him officiating tonight's match. But he wants to ensure Mike will do the right thing. Kyoto says he'll call it right down the middle. Jericho thinks that's code, and he says he'll keep Kyoto in a job again uh, if he calls it 
right down the middle in inverted commas. Um, at this point uh, at uh, in the night, it was 9.35. So why not send Hiroshita out uh, against some uh, local indie wrestler for three minutes because we got to give the women something, right? right, um, right. Sorry. This, is, this brings up another thing I'm annoyed about. And Jesus, this, this is a good. Pro- this probably should be called fucking aimless bitching or whatever. Like I was gonna, I was gonna say we should call it banter international, international. But uh, I think uh, aimless bitching and moaning works too. <laughs> we'll, we'll flip a coin. Uh, this women's tag tournament thing they're doing right now. Why? Because like, yeah, Nyla Rose brought a thing up like talking to somebody who didn't like the idea that these this, these matches weren't being happened on Dark or Dynamite, but then now they're like, yeah, but we're getting our own show. And, yeah, that's good and all, but you're, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing anything with a woman on Dynamite itself. And also, like, you're not doing be you don't have women's tie belts. Impact, actually, is one of the strongest women divisions they have at the minute, and there's always rumors they're bringing those tie belts back. You don't have any other anything other than the main women's belt to really fight for in AEW. So what does the what do the winners of this tournament get? And I see the winners like, come on, we all know Brandy and Ali are going to win this. And like at the moment, it feels like basically Brandy and Ali feel like they need them to ver- to validate them as a tag team. So let's make this whole tournament just so they can win it and probably get a trophy that doesn't mean anything. And then argue amongst themselves about who should fight for the title because there's only one. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's sort of the way that it's going. Where they're they're just probably they're gonna get the they're gonna get the trophy. It's not gonna mean anything. Then the two winners are just gonna fight each other, and that who will that's who will fight Hokaru Shida. Um, like, she, go ahead. Like, on sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But like when me and Paul were forced to talk about Starkey two thousand, the opening match was like a, was the three tag teams fighting each other for an opportunity at a singles belt. It's like for the cruiserweight title, and where even though that ended up being the the best match on that night. Still, like, is a similar situation. The idea, like, you're having this tag tournament, you have a, a tag scenario when the main thing you're all fighting for is a singles belt. Like, you're already breeding confusion and you're already basically setting up that there's going to be conflict between the two people tagging that wins it regardless. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, it, I haven't been watching it uh, just because it's. I mean, yeah. they haven't been doing. They haven't been doing a great job on the television. So why am I gonna, you know, essentially just waste my time watching something that I don't. I, I don't want to talk shit about it because I haven't watched it. But I don't know. It's just something that hopefully they get under control a little bit more. So uh, uh, uh Shida obviously wins here in a couple of minutes. She stands up on the. Um, the stage has a brief conversation with Tony Schiavone, uh, who, uh, you know, essentially asks her about like, uh, who she might fight at, uh, all out. And she just essentially says like, I'm up here and I'm waiting. doesn't get jumped. Nothing happens. We go to Jake, uh, the snake who is backstage with, uh, Lance Archer and, uh, mid sentence, a random guy walks near Archer so Archer beats the fuck out of him in the background while Roberts says nothing of substance, really. Uh, Archer asks him to say something, but he won't. So Archer rips open Jake the Snake Roberts' shirt, and it says everybody dies on his back. That's it. Uh, next week, uh, we get a promo for next week showing that on Saturday night, FTR faces Private Party. The Elite take on the Dark Order. 
an eight in an eight man tag match. Cody versus Brody Lee for the TNT Championship. Darby Allen will be in action, and the final of the women's tag tournament. Up next, Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. Um, Jericho versus Orange Cassidy is something I was looking forward to uh, extremely, just because after that debate, that hilarious debate last week, I just I couldn't wait for this. And this match really delivered. Um, uh, I, as much shit as I gave uh, Velveteen Dream earlier, I have to give uh, Jericho a little bit of shit for hosting a Fozzie concert uh, during the week, doing very little uh, social distancing, and then deciding to wrestle. Because, you know, pandemic be damned. Um, oh. <laughs> like, I remember, like, I, I actually seen a bit of a clip of like, Sturges on the news, like showing like them going to Sturges and interviewing people, and people just being so nonchalant about it not wearing masks and all right and like like you know like you're almost rooting for people these people to get it because like oh no, it's my rad i had to choose where and i had to get it like you can't force me to wear it. like yes it's also your right to prevent yourself from getting a fucking disease that's fucking caused hundreds of thousands of preventable deaths but you know you know you want to go see your dad rock concert and bon jovi clearly wasn't available so you wanted to go see fozzy you know, Jericho said any special. Oh yeah, we took all the precautions, but it didn't fucking look like it. No, it did not. No, it did not. Um, so uh, this match, like I said, is very good. The bell rings, uh, and Cassidy unloads on Jericho, uh, beating him into the corner. Cassidy hits a small splash, lands some more punches, followed by a flying shoulder tackle. Uh, Cassidy continues the onslaught slightly later on, later on on the floor and whips Jericho into the barricade. Orange Cassidy gets back in the ring, takes to the top rope, and uh, puts the hands in the pockets and jumps onto Jericho, which is a uh, great spot if you haven't seen it. Um, Jericho uh, intercepts uh, Orange Cassidy slightly later on with a big boot, then stomps on him. Jericho hits a back suplex, and we go to commercial. Uh, back live, Jericho lands a, a stalling suplex on Cassidy, uh, who fights back. Jericho drops him with a forearm and hits a lion salt for a near fall. Cassidy throws some weak punches at Jericho, uh, turns, then turns it on and hits a thrust kick uh, and a running clothesline. Cassidy goes up top and hits a flying crossbody for a two count. Um, uh, Jericho counters a Hurricane Rana with the uh, walls of Jericho, uh, but Orange Cassidy counters that for a small package. Uh, they fight back and forth for a while. Jericho misses the... Um, Jericho misses a uh, Judas effect. That's the fucking name of it. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't couldn't think of the name for a second there. Um, Cassidy uh, uh, also hits a Michinoku driver for a near fall. Cassidy hits a running kick, um, takes his elbow pad off. Uh, Superman punch, but suddenly best friends come onto the stage fighting with Santana and Ortiz, distracting Kyoto and allowing Hager to run in to slam Orange Cassidy. Ooh, Jericho slowly rolls over and covers Orange Cassidy, but he kicks out. Orange Cassidy starts punching Jericho, but Le Champion hits a low blow. Uh, Jericho looks for the Judas effect, as I said, but OC uh, Orange Cassidy ducks it, rolls him up with a sloppy mousetrap pin and scores the pinfall. Um, the show almost... Uh, ends almost as soon as the pinfall happens. Well, at least Cassidy won't have to pay the $7,000 laundromat bill. And we fade out uh, with Cassidy uh, celebrating. So that's it for AEW Dynamite. Uh, did you see any of the uh, main event here? Not a lot of it, but I, I do like the fact that, he, that Cassidy won because that means a potential like rubber match. And I, just, like, I want to see how this escalates because I know Jericho's going to be re- furious that, like, that Cassidy beat him. And like, I do love the whole $7,000 thing 
it's part of like the, the stipulation almost. Kind of like when Jericho complained about how much the jacket cost that John Moxley ruined back in WWE when he had the light up jacket. Like, because like, like I almost wanted to do like well a laundry bill on a pole match or whatever. Like whoever catches it doesn't have to give it to the other and the other person has to pay or whatever. Just yeah. Just, like, and like it's good that Cassidy won because like a big thing around this is getting Cassidy over. And like like said, like the main thing I made sure to watch, uh, not this week but last week, of AEW was that debate because we all know it's going to be Eric Bischoff hosting it because it leaked, and then just Cassidy was a big long prepared speech about global warming and the whales or whatever I think it was, and just look on Jericho's face as he's going, and then cuts back to Eric Bischoff looking impressed like okay, yeah, and I did like Cassidy told Jericho to shut up. I'm sad that he didn't try and go full Jericho and ask him, would you please shut the hell up? Or maybe they just didn't want to get sued. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I think last week the best thing that came out of uh, that back and forth was the back and forth with Eric Bischoff where uh, Jericho says, I've hated you for 22 years. And Eric cuts him off and says, it's been 24, but the feeling is mutual. Um, (laughs) Fantastic stuff there. Also, this match was also very good. This was another one of the things that I would definitely say is something to watch if you're going to go back and watch this week's uh programming at all um one last thing before we go uh as we mentioned a couple of times uh wwe is moving to the amway center until uh according to reports until october um so what do you think of this scott apparently they're going to be using large led boards like the nba and the nhl to simulate fans uh and possibly other things um in the arena uh, apparently, the fans will be able to interact uh, somewhat, uh, like the way that the um, NBA fans are. Uh, so, what do you think of this move to the Amway Center? Is it a good idea, bad idea? It's an interesting idea, I think, because like it's a big enough arena that if they wanted to bring actual fans in, there's a chance if at least they're properly temperature checked and tested and all that, they could spread people out along the, around this whole like, arena, kind of like what they've been doing in Japan. They've been able to do shows in venues with fans at like a third capacity, so they can still have like an like, interactive like, experience and like spreading people out and abiding by social distancing could be good. Because wired like elsewhere when I was hearing this story was that that venue also isn't going to be apparently used for the rest of the year because of COVID. So basically, WWE if they work out an agreement, they basically have a new home for the next couple months where they can actually get people into it. And then this whole thing with virtual fans and applications coming next week. It's going to kind of suck for UK fans who probably want to be a part of that. Then realise that you've got to actually react and then realise like these pay-per-views actually start, don't start to like midnight, one in the morning over here. And so you just like year wins here and then you just cut to someone who's like live from like the UK and be like because <sighs> they realise their walls are thin they don't want to wake up their neighbours. <laughs> I have a feeling that a lot of uh re- a lot of noise complaints are going to be lobbied against uh, wrestling fans in the UK over the next few months. Like be like, what the hell was that? Like I I started at six AM, I was on night shift, like, what the hell was that noise in your phone? I was at the Amway Center. No, you weren't. <laughs> well, I was there enough, okay? I was um, there in spirit. I love wrestling so much that I was there with them. I was out there with them all. And uh, thank you guys so much for being with us uh, as we went over the the week in wrestling. Um, And if you have any problems with the length of the podcast or anything else about the podcast, please make sure to go and tweet at uh, Nathan Greenaway over on Twitter uh, just to make sure that he knows what he missed out on. Uh, Scott, real quick, why don't you give uh, the people your plugs, let them know what you got going on. 
yeah, sorry if we complained a lot there, but I think I, I feel cleansed after all that. This was almost like therapy for me. Sometimes you need to let the monkey off of your back. You know, you really need to be able to stretch sometimes, and I feel like we did that today. We did, yeah. And finally, it's got my cloud in 1996. You can follow Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast at SP Rambling. Like I said, uh, our next episode should be around the thing. This is going up uh, as our SummerSlam 1984 review, where we're talking about uh, Taker versus Taker, and uh, one of the first five star matches that we ever got the steel cage match between. Brett and Owen, amongst other things. Uh, we've got more impact and free related stuff as always, and also we'll be covering this year's SummerSlam when that happens. Uh, here on Rogue Opinions, obviously the Rogue Retro SmackDown review continues. Uh, already recording the last couple of episodes before Armageddon. I'm making arrangements to record uh, record Armageddon, the Armageddon review, which you probably won't hear for another two or three weeks. But I'm already looking forward to it and I haven't recorded it yet because, like, I've got a friend of mine who I've done podcasts with before and I get along with really well so I really think our chemistry I don't want to build up too much before I even record it but I have a good feeling that it's going to be one of the better ones I've done recently since Jimmy abandoned our baby and left me to raise it by myself Hey, I've been being a hero during (laughs) these uncertain times Settle down there, Lex Luger But uh, the quizzes where I I, I completely thrashed Nathan and uh, among other people and we have a quiz coming up soon where i eventually will take on jimmy and i like you jimmy but unfortunately i'm going to have to destroy you uh i'd like to see you try sir i have an important streak on the line here i can i can't afford to be nice well i'm hoping to come in like brock lesnar at wrestlemania 30 and put that streak in the ground (laughs) um so, yeah, thanks again, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure to go check us out at Rogue underscore Opinion on the Twitter um, and keep checking in. Uh, and stay subscribed over here. I'm at Mr. Riot on Instagram and Twitter. Go ahead and follow me. Make sure you check out all my dapper photos that have been going up. Uh, as long as my friends keep getting married, I'm going to keep having a reason to get dressed in the morning. Um, thanks again for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, and we hope you had a great time. But uh, we're out of time, so get the fuck out of here. Join the Dark Order.